Xbox On. Welcome to Xbox On, a podcast with one host about one console, Xbox. I'm said host Jesse Rosa, and on today's episode, we'll be talking about the latest Xbox news for the week of September 21st, 2023, including a massive internal court filing has leaked, unexpectedly revealing tons of secretive information regarding future plans for new Xbox hardware, unannounced video games, potential industry acquisitions, and much more in what can only be described as the biggest leak in the history of Xbox. All that and more. On this day in Xbox history, the year 2020, three years ago, Xbox Game Studios announced the acquisition of ZeniMax Media, including their subsidiaries, ZeniMax Online Studios, Machine Games, Bethesda Softworks, id Software, Arcane Studios, Tango Gameworks, AlphaDog, Roundhouse Studios, and of course, Bethesda Game Studios. The team behind Starfield, baby, that's right, I used to not care about Bethesda, but then Xbox bought Bethesda, and then I became a huge Bethesda fan, but not because I'm an Xbox loyalist or console warrior or by any stretch of the imagination, it's just conveniently lined up in such a way. Welcome to Xbox on episode 225, everyone. I love doing that, it's a weird, I I don't know, I'm like a schizophrenic, well, how do I put this? I just like to be humorous all the time, and it's like to my detriment. I really should just think more before I speak because, um, as my girlfriend puts it, it's like half the time I'm making a joke, but not with the expectation of making other people laugh, but with just the expectation of making myself laugh. I like I'm making jokes for me. That was like honestly a true sentiment that I've just in recent, very recent history come around and finally given Skyrim a try and really gotten into Bethesda that way. And then Starfield just, man, took it up a notch. I finally, finally get Bethesda games now with the, uh, with the advent of Starfield. But I think that has a lot more to do with just my undying love for like space sci-fi stuff. And this game just really scratches that itch, but uh, yeah, making a little joke out of it. It does seem convenient, right? It's like, didn't care about Bethesda all that much really ever. Then all of a sudden, Xbox buys Bethesda, longtime Xbox fan. Seems a little suspect, right? Right? Like all those people that became Bungie fans when when PlayStation bought Bungie. Just seems a little suspect. No, that's not that's not actual. We should just we should just back up. I don't even know what I'm saying. Welcome to Xbox on you guys. This is a crazy week, and I know if you're listening, you already know why. So yes, we will get into all the craziness that happened this week. I was expecting this to be a week where we could just kind of massage thoughts about Starfield a little further. I was thinking about maybe asking Kronky to be on so we could just talk about the game in like a spoiler context towards the end of the show, perhaps, or I don't know. I just, I really didn't know what we were going to do this week. I, I suspected it would be a little bit of a slow news week. And then Xbox went ahead and fixed that for us by just leaking the next 10 years of their fucking plans on the internet and being like, Hey guys, here's all the new consoles we're making. Here's all the new freaking ideas we have in the pipeline. Just 
F it. Here's here's everything. By the way, uh, Elder Scrolls Six. It's it's console exclusive. Fuck you, PlayStation. I'm like, damn. Okay, thanks for the uh, the gold mine of a podcast you just gave me. And they timed it perfectly. Honestly, they did it on a Tuesday, which gave me over 24 hours to really marinate on all the information before I did the, the podcast notes and, and got everything written down. So now I got, here we are on a Wednesday and I got time to really think about it, write it all down and, and podcast it to you. So thank you Xbox for being so considerate with your leaks. It's very much appreciated, but yeah, obviously we'll be going into all of that this week, but we are still going to structure it like a normal podcast, of course. Um, and it's just, I don't know, it just seems like on all fronts, we got some really good stuff to talk about in every segment of the show. And also, the thing I'm most excited about is we just got a lot of write-ins this week. And I was able to do my my favorite thing with the write-ins where a lot of the write-ins were very, were very relevant to what we're going to talk about in today's show. So I'm able to sprinkle some comments throughout the show, which is my favorite way to do comments. So I'm very much excited to have you guys chime in with your two cents as we go through everything we have to talk about this uh, on this, what I assume will be a lengthy episode of Xbox on. So let's not delay any further. Let's just jump in with our opening segment of notable game releases this week. And in the spirit of what this week has been thus far, we have a lot of notable releases. So if you are a Game Pass subscriber, don't even put your phone down. You don't got to order Uber Eats or none of that shit. You don't tell tell your tell your friend in the kitchen who's making you dinner because he's a really nice friend. He likes to come over and make you dinner for some reason. Tell him put away the turkey. Stop 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 mashing the potatoes uh, because dinner dinner is on Xbox tonight because you're eating good this week if you're a Game Pass subscriber. We got lies of P. The P does not stand for penis. So stop being a child about it. Okay, it's a day one Game Pass game. It's a Souls like game. I tried the demo. I still don't like Souls like games, but goddamn, this game is a cool aesthetic and it seems like people kind of like it. So it's seems like a pretty good hit if you are a Souls like fan lies of p game pass subscriber put it all together it's like fucking pinocchio you, you know it's just you get hard every time you tell a lie so that's available now it's day one game pass day game also available this week what i assume is probably the the new release of the week that people are most hyped about not included in game pass uh mortal kombat one now out this game ended up was was this the one that came out a day early no lies of p ended up for some reason being available a day early i don't know what that was about mortal kombat one it's out now I feel like it's everyone around me in the world is like, oh, you gotta play Mortal Kombat. Mortal Kombat's out. Oh man, Mortal Kombat. I'm like, I, again, I'll say the same thing I said when this game was announced four or five months ago. I wish I liked Mortal Kombat. I want to like Mortal Kombat. Strangely enough, I've pretty much enjoyed every Mortal Kombat movie that's ever been released, all three or four of them. Um, but I just can't get into these games no matter how, how hard I try. So no chance in hell am I am I dropping 60, 70 bucks on this game just to find out I still don't care for Mortal Kombat. But it looks cool. I'm happy for all you Mortal Kombat fans out there. I hope you really enjoy the game. Looks like it is quite good. Uh, and then we circle right on back to Game Pass where we got... Payday 3 is out now, baby. It's out as of the day this podcast goes live, Thursday the 21st. I'm very much looking forward to this game. I got it pre-downloaded, ready to play it this weekend. This game looks great. So Payday 3, again, tell your friend, stop mashing the potatoes. Stop sautéing the asparagus. We, we got dinner right here in the form of Payday 3, a day one Game Pass game. Mwah. You know, chef's kiss, as they say in, in, in Espanol. Uh, so, yeah, Payday 3 is out. Really looking forward to it. That's, that's the one on this list that, that's for me. Ooh, baby. And then, that's something we normally talk about the show, but definitely worth mentioning because this is, like, the best-selling game of the year almost every year or one of the top three best-selling games. Uh, EA Sports FC 24 and, and Ultimate Edition as well are, are both out this Friday, the 22nd. Not Game Pass games, but um, if, if, if you're thinking to yourself, you're scratching your head going... 
EA Sports FC 24. Ooh, that name just rolls off the tongue. Why does that sound familiar? It's because this is FIFA. This is the first year in which FIFA, uh, the FIFA license is no longer attached to EA's soccer franchise. Uh, so this is yeah, this is EA Sports FC. And uh, I, I think we're about to find out that the FIFA brand doesn't matter all that much because I'm sure this game is still going to freaking kill. Uh, so a very important game to note, even though uh, it doesn't seem to be one that many people who at least write in to this podcast care about because we, we just really never end up talking about sports games. But I could be wrong. Maybe there are people who listen to this podcast who deeply love these games and they're just closeted Xbox on listeners. I know if I were a listener and not the host of this podcast, I'd probably be closeted about that too because why the hell would you want to make that public information? And then last... I don't really care about this game, but I think it's worth mentioning because Microsoft or Xbox has been they've had a they've had a, a hard marketing push with this game ever since, man, I think two years ago, two or three years ago when they revealed it. Uh, Party Animals, it's out now. It's a day one Game Pass game. So again, you got your appetizer with the lies of penis. You got your entree with the payday three, and it's a damn good entree, or so it looks like it will be. And then you get yourself a little sweet treat for for the for the dessert. Party Animals, day one Game Pass game out now. Came out this Wednesday, the day I'm recording the podcast. So little cutesy ragdoll beat 'em up game, uh, kind of like uh, what's the other game people like on Game Pass? The my mind's blinking, but you play as like the little morph men and you beat each other up. Party Animals is seemingly something like that and Smash Bros. combined. So there you go. Lots of good stuff to play, whether you want to lean on Game Pass or whether you got some cash to blow and you want to kick some soccer balls or kick some heads off of Mortal Kombat characters. You got everything at your disposal. It's a great week for gaming. And here, if you're anything like me, you're just like, I don't even need any of these games. I'm still so busy with Starfield. I'm still enjoying Starfield so much. I, I don't even necessarily need any of these games to be here right now. But Payday 3 is there for us, so we must enjoy it. And then after that, oh, next month, we got Sonic Superstars. We got Mario Wonder. We got Alan Wake 2. October is going to be good. And if I had a PS5, I'd say Spider-Man, but I don't have a PS5, so I'll just cry in the corner instead. Okay. That's it for games coming out this week that are notable. There are other games coming out that I have just arbitrarily deemed less notable, and therefore we haven't mentioned them, but maybe you're very offended if uh, if one of those games is something you're looking forward to. I don't know. I cannot account for all feelings and in, 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 in perspective. So let's move right on into the corrections. Corrections? Fuck that. We'll talk about the British stuff later when we get to the comments at the end of the show. Very much looking forward to that. And then uh, mildly amusing stories and updates. I think that's where we should move into next because we've got a lot of stuff to talk about including uh, basically a teaser trailer for next week's big story, which is from The Verge and relayed by VGC here. The UK Regulatory uh, Competitive and Market Competition and Market Authority, also known as the CMA, is likely to rule on Microsoft's proposed acquisition of Activision Blizzard next week. The watchdog is expected to make a preliminary decision on the $69 billion deal before the end of this month. And according to The Verge, sources said to be familiar with the matter. We'll hear about it probably Um by the end of this month and a final decision should be reached no later than October 18th. So this time next week, we could be talking about how the CMA has finally approved the Microsoft deal with Ubisoft doing all the streaming licensing stuff, which is weird anyway. And then the whole deal can be done, closed, finished up. And then we're just a few months away from a call of duty game starting to trickle out on game pass, which I'm looking forward to. Uh, I still have not played Call of Duty Ghost after all these years, so I got to knock that campaign off my checklist. I'm not looking forward to it, but it has to be done. So 
There we go, guys. Uh, I cannot wait to stop talking about that conversation. I'm glad we haven't had to talk about it too much lately, and it seems like pretty damn soon we'll never have to talk about it again. So this is uh, this is cause for celebration. So I want you all to buy a bottle of champagne and keep it in your refrigerator in anticipation of next week's news. And at the time at when it, when, it, when it is appropriate to do so, we will all uh, in in unison pop our champagne corks and celebrate together with a toast. And if you are underage, I think you should go find a homeless man on the street and pay him to go buy you some booze because this is just that special of an occasion that it's worth doing that. So, all right, nothing to say about that other than stay tuned to next week for more on that. Next up, let's talk about a little bit of Starfield. We'll talk about Starfield at the end of the show with some comments, uh, probably also in the middle of the show with the, what I've been playing, but we're going to touch on it just a bit. Now we got a lot of Starfield to talk about as always. It's just, it's so present right now. Not as much as we have to talk about the big stuff happening with all the leaks, but a little bit of Starfield um, relative to that. A lot of Starfield relative to not talking about Starfield at all. This podcast makes sense. All right, let's move on. VGC relays that Starfield has officially hit 10 million players, according to Bethesda themselves. A tweet from the official Starfield account on, tw- on Tuesday acknowledged the milestone, saying, quote, Thank you for to more than 10 million Starfield explorers for creating the biggest launch in the history of Bethesda. End quote. While it may have broken records for Bethesda, it appears Starfield has failed to do the same for Xbox Game Studios as a whole. Yes, if you can believe it, in 2021, Microsoft said Forza Horizon 5 reached more than 10 million players in its first week, making it the biggest first week in Xbox history. By comparison, Starfield has seemingly taken nearly twice as long to reach that milestone. It should be noted, however, that Starfield was released on the Xbox Series S and X and PC, whereas Forza Horizon 5 was released on all those platforms in addition to the Xbox One, which was at the very end of that console's uh, life cycle, which is to say it had the biggest user base it was going to have. And then what I would like to also add in for further context, just so we can have a little bit of a conversation here about this. Um, It sounds like some fanboy defending, but it's just I, I just think it's interesting texture to add to the conversation. So keep in mind a couple things. Forza Horizon 5 comes out. It's available on all the same platforms as Starfield, plus the Xbox One, which has like a 50, 60, probably about 50 million player install base. Also, it's 2021, which is still like the thick of COVID era before people are really like going back out and and, and doing somersaults in in grocery stores again. So you got to imagine this is back at that height where like everyone was buying a video game console, playing video games. People were super hyped about the new consoles. Everything was like, I can't go out to the bar this weekend. I'll stay home and play Forza. So that also attributes to it a little, contributes to it a little bit. And then also worth noting is just that, and, and this is a, this isn't this one's a little bit of a stretch because I actually don't. This is more just anecdotal or just kind of a feeling than it is um, kind of quantitative or qual, you know quantitative data, which is just to say, I feel like the nature of an arcade racer like Forza and the long history of that brand meaning so much to Xbox does a lot of goodwill for like just drawing people to that game. Whereas Starfield is coming out in a time where it's a new IP, it's an unproven IP. Not everyone's tuned into who's making what game. And in addition to that, Starfield is up against a really competitive gaming space right now where there are tons of great games coming out left and right that are just, you know, every every everyone's vying for attention right now. Baldur's Gate 3, of course, must be noted um, and things like that. And people may have been saving money for other new releases like Mortal Kombat, whatever. And then also, um, we're at a time, again, as they mentioned here, Xbox One doesn't get Starfield. So... 
the only way you're playing this thing on Xbox One is if you're streaming it from the cloud on your Xbox One. So much smaller install base for players. And we all know people aren't really engaging with cloud as much as uh, Microsoft would like for that to be the case. So the, the majority of people playing this game are playing on PC or a modern Xbox uh, piece of hardware, which we know is, you know, the series consoles have only sold around like 20, 25 million units between the S and the X. So much smaller install base, but when you consider uh, 10 million players in, in, in about, you know, two weeks or 10 days, whatever, that's 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 pretty good. It's 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 better than ninety nine point nine percent of games will ever do, uh, but it's you know relative to the biggest games in the industry, it's pretty good. Not the best we've ever seen. Although I, I do want to add some further context, I dug back and I said, well, what's like the biggest game Sony has put out in recent history? Obviously, Sony's put out some pretty big games this year. They had second party exclusives like Final Fantasy sixteen, but the last first party Sony game to come out that was like just massive melt your face mind blowing this is the game everyone's got to stop and play was last November when God of War Ragnarok came out so I just for curiosity's sake I said well how did God of War Ragnarok fare when did it, when did it hit its big sales milestone in February 2023 about three months after the game came out 11 weeks after the game came out actually or 10 weeks after the game came out so two and a half months later um, Sony had revealed that God of War Ragnarok had surpassed 11 million copies sold in 10 weeks, making it at the time, and still to this day, I believe, uh, until Spider-Man comes out, I'm sure Spider-Man will crush this, making it the fastest selling first party title ever for the PlayStation brand. Um, God of War Ragnarok uh, was released in November 9, 2022, and this news was released 10 weeks later in February. Um, Sony claimed that 5.1 million copies of the game were sold in its debut week, so its first seven days was 5.1 million copies, um, and then, you know, in 10 weeks, it was it was 10 million copies. So that just goes to show you how, how important those first few days and first few weeks are. But also, I wanted to add that for context, because this is not to make this a console war thing. That's a huge accomplishment for PlayStation. They don't have Game Pass, so that is 10 million people in 10 weeks or 11 million people in 10 weeks buying this game at $70 a pop. So that's a huge accomplishment, something they should be very proud of. And that's a game that is solely available on the PlayStation five, not the PC, not the P or actually no, it's also available on PS4. So I take that back. That's PS4 and PS5 only. It's two consoles. So, I mean, that's that install base is still much smaller than console and PC. So just just to kind of put this out there, it's really not to say like one is more of a success story than the other, but just to kind of just add some context, add some texture. Ten weeks for God of War Ragnarok, only on PS4 and 5, to sell 11 million copies. That's a great accomplishment. Starfield, in a fraction of that time, reached almost the same number of players. Well, not almost the same. 10 and 11 million is a huge different number, but you know what I mean. 10 million players in way less time, but a lot of those people access the game through subscription services rather than buying the game at $70 a pop. So huge difference in how people are accessing these games. Um, Forza hitting 10 million players in seven days. I mean, so it's, it's a lot of factors that play into these things. Obviously a game's a lot more accessible when it's included in a subscription you're already paying for and you don't have to drop 70 additional bucks for it. Right. But also a game like Forza's player base was bigger and stronger from the get than a game like God of War Ragnarok. And, you know, if you listen solely to what people and on the internet, gamers on the internet had to say about the matter, you would think that a game like Forza Horizon 5 did fine, and a game like God of War Ragnarok uh, ushered in a, a new national holiday where people took off work and, and went to the altar to pray to Sony and all these things because it was just such a big deal. So, again, it just it is worth mentioning 
all of this, our understanding of sales and players and player base and just success is all relative to so many numbers. We're comparing sales to players to various platforms and times in which we're released and different genres, different types of games and all these things. So, so many ways to measure success. And obviously Xbox doesn't have success the way PlayStation does. So they never come out and say, oh yeah, Starfield sold 1.6 million copies or whatever, you know, because they, they, they don't want to admit it because obviously Starfield's sales, just sales alone are soft. If you were to compare it to a PlayStation game because there are fewer Xboxes in the wild and because people get a lot of Xbox games through Game Pass and not by purchasing them. So we have to compare players, you know, players engaging with the game to players plus sales of a PlayStation game. So it's not always apples to apples, but it's just I, I think it's interesting data to pour through nonetheless. Uh, the timing of these game launches is very interesting. The the climate which they released in is very uh, very interesting and, and I just uh just just want to kind of consider this from all angles and we had a write in Mr. Jonathan he he just can't oh I'm so sorry Jonathan I don't I'm not I'm not gonna fuck it up again so Jonathan wrote in and says yes Starfield is great probably will steal a thousand hours of my life but I won't be complaining it's sad to see how idiotic some people are though some man babies can't just celebrate a unique game with a lot going for it or just ignore it no they need to take it apart and shit on it either for clicks or to brighten up their sad reality Really sad, but I'm happy for Bethesda, and I'm glad they got a good rebound after the last few less amazing games, referring to like Fallout 76 and things like that. Yeah, I mean, and again, it must be said, this is Starfield is a huge success. It's a it's a big success. I'm sure Xbox and Bethesda are very pleased with that. Again, this is the, the highest player base or player count Bethesda's ever had, so I'm sure they're thrilled that so many people are playing their game. You know, as the as the developers of it, I'm sure the number one thing they care about is people enjoying the game they made, and so that's a huge success. Into Xbox, this has done a great job of garnering a lot of attention, uh, generating sales of their of their console and and new subscribers to Game Pass. So it's been a huge success all around. To what extent they wanted it, you know, to what extent Xbox expected this game to perform, we don't really know. I think Xbox was expecting this to be, or as they, they said recently, that they were expecting this to be the biggest launch ever um, for, for Xbox, period. So it, do, it does look like it failed in that regard. It didn't hit 12 or 13 million players like it would probably have needed to in order to reach that milestone or really crush that milestone. So I guess in some ways Starfield has kind of let it down, but it's like you think of like what could have done that well. I don't know. I want to say bad word of mouth, but not really because a lot of times it's like that, no, you know, bad news is good news. There's no such thing as bad press kind of thing where I feel like even the negativity surrounding this game would still do it well just because there's so much talk around it. But maybe that's not entirely true. I'm not sure. Um, also, you know, big open world Western RPG, a little bit more niche than something like uh than something like a third person action story game or something like that. But at the same, by the same token, it's like, that's not really necessarily true because we are seeing conventions bucked a lot where like you look at how well Final Fantasy 16 sold or how well like a freaking racing game like Forza does. And it's like, I don't know, or, or Baldur's Gate, you know, like no one would expect a freaking Dungeons and Dragons RPG game to do nearly as well and garner the intention and, and, and praise that a game like Baldur's Gate 3 has, has garnered. But here, you know, here we are, you know, so I don't know, man, the, the gamers are really, really finicky and it is very smart people's job <laughs> to figure out why some games are so successful versus others, what it is that people look for, what factors affected a game positively or negatively. And with, with Starfield, it's kind of hard because no doubt the game is a huge success, but I think it was expected for it to be a bigger success than it is. And there is definitely some 
some head scratching to consider with certain aspects, certain aspects pertaining to its critical reception, its sales, its its player engagement. And uh, I don't know, man, because I'm, I'm playing it and I'm just like, yeah, it's like a really, really, really great Bethesda game. Like, th- that's what it is. It's not like I've never played a game like this. It's the it's one of a kind. It's, you know, it is one of a kind in, in a sense, but it's also a new Bethesda game, you know? So it's like, I don't know why people are so surprised in some regards, but then, I don't know. We're kind of going off on a tangent here, I guess. It's just to say, um, you know, congrats to Bethesda. Obviously, the game's a huge success for them. Um, I, th- I I would guess that Team Xbox is probably a little disappointed that the game didn't do a little better than this. And then just to kind of compare it to Forza, God of War, and just some other things to give you some context for how games perform, how big launches can ha- have historically looked, and kind of where this falls in some form or fashion in, in recent history. It's just interesting to think about the numbers, think about the install base, the attention that a game garners versus the way it sells or play or how many people play it, and just kind of consider these numbers and these in these data points instead of just uh going on Twitter and taking everyone's opinion into consideration when trying to come up with some arbitrary read on how a game is done how well or 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 poorly it's done so shout to uh starfield and to bethesda congrats your game is awesome and i'm glad it's i'm glad it's doing well all right next up i really didn't know how to tackle this one so i'm just gonna throw it in here and we can uh talk about for a little bit but this is a story that started developing last week i left it out last minute as it was breaking as i was recording the podcast and then it's developed a lot over this week so we can talk about for a minute here But um, Unity will be charging a royalty fee based on a number of times games are installed using Unity Engine. Starting January 1st next year, the new Unity runtime fee will be applied to games uh, that meet a minimum revenue threshold and have passed a minimum lifetime install count. It will also vary uh, based on type of Unity subscription plan the developer has. The fee will apply to games made with Unity Personal uh, personal or Unity Plus, which are the subscription tiers, that have made over $200,000 in revenue or made over $200,000 um, or more in the past 12 months or at least 200,000 lifetime installs. Uh, it will also apply to games made with Unity Pro and Unity Enterprise that have made 100,000 or sorry, that made 1 million or more in the previous year and have at least a million installs. The fee, which will be payable monthly, will see Unity Personnel, or sorry, I keep saying personal, Unity Personal and Plus developers paying a flat 20 cent per install threshold. Pro and Enterprise developers developers will pay a smaller fee uh, that scales down uh, downward based on the number of installs over the threshold as detailed in the table uh, provided with the announcement. Um, there's also an emerging market monthly rate uh, that ranges from 0.005 cents to 0.02 cents per install over the threshold. So let me stop there for a second. That was the initial announcement. Uh, Redo underscore Vandal 6961 writes and says, Y'all hearing about Unity's new pricing model? What kind of creep would approve this? Same guy who ran EA. I give him three years uh, and pack of smokes till <laughs> they hit the streets. Uh, yes, Unity's current CEO is uh, EA's previous CEO. Uh, C- when I say CEA, CEO. Um, so that's the reference there. Uh, so let's let's continue on. So after this, this was met with massive backlash because you think about Unity, it's a massive engine that so many people use. I mean, Unity is the engine that 
people who just want to dick around and try to learn a thing or two about game development will just download for free and start playing with. And so it's it's not only a game engine for many a AAA massive blockbuster release, but it's also the go to engine for many indie games and in like like true indie games, like games made by small independent teams or games made by a singular person. And so this is kind of a way to punish people for for building a successful product and having a, a big hit on their hands. Now, they after facing tons and tons of backlash over the past week, they followed up this week and uh, the following news was revealed. Unity executives have reportedly told staff how the company intends to backtrack on some elements that of the new controversial install fee policy. Following a huge backlash from the game developers, um, Unity issued a new statement on Sunday and said that they plan to make changes to the policy, which would communicate, which they'll communicate as the week progresses. Uh, according to Bloomberg, however, Unity staff were informed of the tentative changes to the policy during the All Hands meeting this week, which include limiting fees to four percent of the game's revenue over uh, over one million dollars. So even though it's you know could be hypothetically twenty cents per install, it caps out after you've reached four percent of the game's overall um, revenue lifetime revenue. Installations counted towards reaching the threshold will no longer be retroactive, so it's only installations once this is enacted going forward, which is still silly. And installations will no longer be tracked by proprietary tools. Instead, Unity will rely on users to self-report the data, so that way people can't exploit it. You can't have a bunch of people with, uh, I don't know, people who would maybe like go and review Bomb, um, like a, a movie on IMDb. Maybe uh, you wouldn't give them the power to go on Steam and download a game like, a thousand times in a day just to drive up the install count to, I don't know, force money upon an independent developer, therefore driving them bankrupt uh, because of a, a potential opportunity to exploit this stupid, stupid fee. Uh, so, you know, that's a way to get around that. Still, this is shitty because I think just overall, this is just a shit situation uh, just because game development is more expensive than ever as we've been talking about and a lot of developers you know are, are hurting right now if you're not you know it's one thing if you're ea or activision or xbox or playstation it's like whatever you're fucking fine nobody cares but you know for a lot of these smaller to mid-tier developers times are tough right now um people work project to project that's always kind of been the case and Right now, with inflation being so high, these these publishers and companies don't want to take big risks on a lot of games. So it's going to be harder than ever to get your game published if you're trying to find a publisher. It's also going to be harder than ever um, to compete as, as gaming just continues to grow and grow and it becomes so difficult to find an audience for games. And so now what it's saying, not only is it incredibly hard in the first place to find an audience for your game, but should you be one of the lucky few who find success and hits with your game, you will now be financially penalized for it because we will take money as you succeed. So... Very, very silly. I understand the, the the main attempt to alleviate the concern is that we won't take more than 4%, but still, I mean, that's it's still a lot of money at the end of the day. I think they're going to go through this regardless because apparently Unity um, is not doing well. Their stock has dropped tr tremendously. They're apparently hemorrhaging money. I'm not really quite sure how that is. I, I don't know a lot about this company's uh, financials, but I would have assumed that Unity was doing quite well since they're such a de facto engine. For so many companies, but clearly their pricing model hasn't been set up in a way that's been really beneficial for them to turn a healthy profit. So it's clear that they have to do something to try and bring in the money. And it's just, it just seems like they're so hell-bent on making this a thing that it's going to happen. And now the, now the question becomes, 
how do people respond to it? I mean, people who are like midway through development, you can't just jump ship on your engine at this point. You got to commit, you know, you're, you're locked in. So like, that's a huge shit show for so many people. It's like, wow, what if they could have announced this for like beginning in 2025 or something to give developers time to finish up the games they've been working on for years and things like that without being penalized by this new stupid arbitrary way of monetizing and, I don't know, man. While while I think obviously these concessions are a little bit more reasonable and and take some of the sting off, it's still a huge blow, especially because Unity is just the engine of the people. It's like everyone's idea of like what a video game engine is. Like when it comes to like, hey, I I want to try to get in development, game development. I want to learn about how games are made. I want to try and work for a studio. Like I mean, Unity is the engine. It's like the one you want to have first and foremost on your resume before you go for a job in this industry. So. With that now comes more financial penalty for being lucky enough to find success in this market. So real shit situation. Honestly, I don't have a whole lot of anything to add to it other than to say, yeah, I I agree with the people who are outraged. I understand the business situation. The realities for Unity is that they're they're needing to find a way to become profitable, to become more profitable. And they're, they're kind of in a bit of a jam themselves. It's not just pure corporate greed. It's they are trying to find a way to make themselves financially sustainable and stable here. Um, and so I, I get it, but I mean like, God, is there any way, I don't know, maybe come up with some new subscription tier. That's like super lucrative, but also super enticing to, to, to bigger publishers and bigger developers to try and rack up some more money out of that. I don't I, like, there's got, surely there's gotta be something you can offer to your customers rather than just being like, we're changing nothing about our service, but we're going to get more money out of you. That's always the kind of stuff that sucks, right? The most where it's like, I don't know. It's like like my apartment. I think about how my apartment was substantially cheaper when I first moved in this unit four years ago. And over the past four years that I lived in this apartment, it has gotten shittier and shittier. It's gotten dirtier. Uh, the property management company has sold to various companies like two or three times. The The leasing staff has gotten worse. The repair staff has gotten worse. The quality of my neighbors has gotten shittier. And they just keep making living in this apartment community worse and worse and worse over the four years I've been here. But there's an inverse relationship where as my quality of living in the the condition of my apartment community has gone down, the cost of my apartment has gone up and up and up. And that's like, it's like, that's such bullshit, right? And this, it reminds me of kind of one of those situations. It's like, why is the cost of, why is milk getting more expensive? You know, it's like, why, why, why is it, why are taxes, why are property taxes going up when roads and, and communities are in worse shape than they've ever been. Like, why does everything suck more and cost more, you know? And this is kind of another microcosm of that. It's like when you think about products, consumer products and services, you expect it's like, okay, the price is going up, but the quality is going to get better or like there's going to be a new feature or something. There's going to be some reason why the price is going up, right? It's not like just fucking Netflix. Like, yeah, we're jacking up your price, but fuck you. You know, at least, at least before Game Pass rose in price a little bit ago, you know, we knew that we had like five great Game Pass games imminently on the horizon to, to, to justify, you know, us being there. And also game Pass has always been a great value. So I guess that's just a bad example, but like, I don't know. It's, it sucks. It sucks that it's like, Hey, this, this, this service that you've always relied on to run your business isn't actually getting any better or changing in any way that really means anything to you in a a good way. Uh, But we are going to start taking more of your profits because fuck you, we need to. So never a good situation. And uh, I just, I don't know. I hope at the end of this, I mean, people are going to jump ship. They'll find other, they'll find other, other engines to use if this, if this becomes a big enough deal. And like, that's, that's the thing you got to know is it's like unity. You might be the easiest, most like de facto type of, of engine out there, but 
people will find something else if you price them out of the market. That's just how this works. So I don't I don't know. It's pretty ballsy to think that they can get away with this considering there's so many other options. So I don't know. All right, uh, let's move on. All right, we got a little bit more sad news before we get into the actual news this week. So let's wrap up with one more opening story um, from VGC. Unfortunately, nearly half of the development team behind the EA-published Immortals of Avium have been laid off. Ascendant Studios CEO Brett Robbins announced the layoffs on Twitter, calling the decision painfully difficult but necessary. He said, quote, Today we are heartbroken as we part with friends and colleagues at Ascendant Studio, about 45% of our team, he said in a statement. This was a painfully difficult but necessary decision, and it was not made lightly. Nevertheless, we will have to make adjustments now that Immortals of Avium has shipped. We are supporting those affected in every way we can, including comprehensive severance packages and job placement assistance, as well as support services for those who remain. Based in Raphael, California, Ascendant is an independent studio founded by Robbins, who was creative director at Visceral Games for, with the original Dead Space series, as well as over on Sledgehammer Games on their Call of Duty entries, Modern Warfare 3, Advanced Warfare, and World War II. Immortals of Avium was released on Xbox and PC back on August 22nd and was not sorry and was met with reasonable review scores, sitting on a Metacritic with a 70. So. Yeah, Mortals of Avium, this is one of those games kind of like um, Atlas Fallen. It's just one of those games where, like, earlier in the year, I was like, I really want to play this game. This looks really good. This looks like a really nice little surprise. But the timing of these release dates was just so god-awful that it's like, I can't justify playing these games. They're, they're like, right after this game, but right before this game. It's just, there's, there's so much good stuff happening this year that things... Things just got in the way of some games got in the way of other games. Let's put it that way. And so I just I feel bad because while I still haven't played Immortals of Avium, I do fully intend on playing this game. This was definitely a game I was planning on playing probably at the very end of the year or sometime earlier next year. Once, you know, we get out of the weeds with Modern Warfare 3 and Alan Wake 2 and Sonic Superstars and Mario Wonder and Starfield and Forza Motorsport 10 and all these many, many other in Payday 3 and all these many games coming out this fall. That just looks so good that I just got to play. And Avatar Frontiers of Pandora, like all these games I'm like really looking forward to. And unfortunately, Atlas Fallen and Immortals of Avium were two of those games where it's just like, I, there's only so much money in the, in, the, in the video game budget for the year. And there's only so much time to play the video games. And, you know, we've all made that mistake of like, oh, I want to play all these games. And you buy all the games that come out as they come out. And then you realize like, I don't have time to play these. I could have just bought one or two of these games and I would have been fine, but I bought three or four and now I just, I got all these games I bought at full price and I don't have the time to enjoy them. And I think Immortals of Avium in a large way fell victim to that where if this game could have just been delayed to like January or maybe got delayed to like next May or some, some slower time, I feel like this game could have shined or maybe if they could have gotten it out the door earlier, which was originally the plan. Remember, it was supposed to come out in July. That would have been great. Get in there before the, the mad rush of fall 2023 began you know that would have been really good for them but unfortunately that just again ea just like titanfall 2 sending out a game to die in the worst release time like right around boulders gate and starfield being like here's immortals of avium fuck you and then a lot of people were like what the hell is this new ip never heard of it apparently a lot like you look at the comments on any of these news stories and the videos about this game everyone's like this game looks pretty cool. Didn't even know it existed. The marketing really sucked. EA sucked at the marketing. Oh, EA dropped the ball in marketing. This game never, never heard of it. Never seen it. Uh, Immortals of who? Never heard of her. Immortals of Avium, but I hardly know her. Like that kind of stuff. Like no, no one's apparently heard of the damn game. Um, 
which is really unfortunate because I think this magic FPS shooter type game looks really damn fun. And I really wanted to play it from the moment it was announced. And I still plan on playing it, but I, I fear now that by the time I finally play this game, it's going to be freaking included in Game Pass via EA or um, EA, um, EA, what is it called? EA Play, EA Access, whatever the fuck they call it. So I, I, I don't know, man. At this point, it's just, it's really sad because you feel for the developers. We're always, you know, myself especially, always out here crying for new original ideas, new IP, new games. This is an example of really talented um, veteran veteran talent coming out and giving us just that and then being punished for doing so. You know, this wasn't Harry Potter 12 or some bullshit like that. And so, unfortunately, the game bombs. The game sold apparently a, like absolute shit. Apparently, this game is sold really, really poorly. And it's just really sad because the game looks actually fantastic. And, um, you know, obviously... People like myself are absolutely uh, part of the problem as well because I'm over here being like, well, I can't skip Call of Duty Modern Warfare 3 for the second time this fall, you know, when it comes out on November 10th, but I can skip Immortals of Avium. So it's just one of those things where, unfortunately, again, there's only so much money in the budget. There's only so much time in the year. Something's got to give, and, and, and Immortals of Avium, I think, ended up being one of those games for a lot of people. So it's just too bad because I, I really do believe this game is probably going to be good. And I can't wait to talk about it when I finally do get around to playing it because I'm very certain this is a Jesse game. And I'm going to be very salty when I realize I love this game. And uh, it's a, it's really unfortunate that so many people lost their jobs just because bad marketing, bad release timing, and all, and all the rest that have seemingly affected this game. But obviously, thoughts and... Uh, thoughts are with the developers affected by this hopefully they land on their feet and find something better but again maybe they don't maybe they land on maybe they try to land on their feet and they go to start some new team and do some new indie project and they want to build in unity because it's the engine they're most familiar with and then they get freaking taxed out the butt because they used unity and now they're getting now they're having to pay 20 cents on every fucking install because because some some guy named John on Reddit in in the YouTube comments wants to install the game two hundred thousand times a day from his from the comfort of his mother's basement. So I I don't know. We'll see. Good luck out there, scary dudes. Dark world out there, man. Bring a coat with you. All right, that's it for all of our opening news stories. You guys, we can move into the main news, talk about all the leaks going on in the world of Xbox. But first, we go into the games I've been playing this week, which we won't dwell on too long. But before I can tell you about the games I've been playing this week, I got to tell you about what I've been eating. And you guys, I got two cans in front of me right now. As we start to really settle into the Halloween season, we're in mid mid September. I mean, it's full fledged Halloween season, um, so I'm, I'm very much excited about that. And uh, apparently, so is Pepsi Company because this year's Mountain Dew Voodoo is officially out. It is the Halloween mystery flavor that comes out each and every September slash October. And, uh, you know, it's got the Grim Reaper on it. It's got the awesome can artwork. And we're in the fifth year. They started doing this in 2019. And here in 2023, we're at year five of Mountain Dew Voodoo. I can't believe it's been that long. They've been doing this for as long as I lived here in Florida. So it feels like a feels like a, a little tradition here for me now that every year we do the Mountain Dew Voodoo. Unfortunately, I come with bad news because Mountain Dew Voodoo is, is a wild card flavor. It is a, uh, is a whiteout-based Mountain Dew flavor, which is the best Mountain Dew ever. But every year they fuck with the formula to try and make it taste like some kind of Halloween candy. And at the end of the Halloween season, they announce what what flavor they are going for. 
from what I have understood these past four years, these previous four years with Mountain Dew Voodoo, is that there's like one or two main flavors they go for, which is like some kind of orange creamsicle or like some kind of Skittles flavor. And then every year they alternate between the same two flavors and alter the recipe just a little bit. So year one was like some beautiful, creamy, vanilla-y, orange creamsicle type mystery flavor, which was awesome. I think they're like, oh, it's candy corn. I'm like, okay, whatever. That's better than candy corn, but whatever. It's great. I loved it. And then in 2020, for the second year, they were like, all right, here's the new flavor. And it was like Skittles flavor and tasted like shit. It was terrible. It was like fruity, sugary nonsense. And I hated it and I never wanted to have it again. And I was so disappointed. Then year three came around and it was like kind of back to that orange creamsicle uh, candy corn flavor again. I was like, oh, this is so good. I love this. I love this. It was a little different from the first year, but it was kind of back on that track. So I was really happy with it. And then year four, last year was kind of different. It was like, it was like a little bit shitty, like year two, but a little bit like something new. I don't know. But this year it tastes kind of like year two all over again. It's this really shitty, um, tastes kind of like that, like Smarties, like hard powdery candies. You bite into them and they just break down to powder or like those pixie sticks that kids get like the movie theater when you're like in 2002 and you think it's cool and you're going to see Shrek or whatever and you get the fucking big pixie stick with seven different colors of sugar dust. And it tastes like that. It's like that in soda format. And it's terrible. It's absolutely awful. And uh, well, the thing is, I'm just so enamored with the Mountain Dew Voodoo art style and beginning last year they started offering it in regular and zero sugar variant so i'm not going to not drink it because it is the drink of the season um so yes i went to Publix. they had buy two get one free so i bought a 12 pack of the regular and two 12 packs of the zero sugar and so i will be drinking this throughout the halloween season despite me not really liking it and after about a week of drinking this now i must say the regular flavor it's grown on me a little bit i still think it's one of the worst voodoo flavors i think if we're ranking all five years of Voodoo, I think this is fourth with last place still being year two. Year two's was just terrible, irredeemable. I ended up giving some of that away because I, I couldn't even finish it. But this one, it's it's based on that formula, but it's slightly better, but it's still not great. Uh, the regular one's a little bit better than the zero sugar one, but you know it's like most Mountain Dew or most sodas in general. If you If you drink it with a meal, it's a lot better than drinking it on its own. It's not great, but I already spent the money and we're already here and it's the Halloween season and I don't want to be, you know, the Ebenezer Scrooge of of, of the Halloween season. So here I will uh, I will put on a good face and continue to drink the Mountain Dew uh, voodoo. Um, but uh, yeah, I just, I just got to be honest with you guys. It's not great this year. The can artwork is phenomenal, though. Uh, digging the Mohawk mummy that's on it this year. Uh, Mr. Grimm looks badass as always. Just excellent can artwork. So shout out to that. But yeah, that's what I've been eating this week. It's the Mountain Dew Voodoo Year Number Five Halloween Mystery Flavor, and I'm just so excited that we're in full swing Halloween mode at this point. So that's it for what I've been eating. Now on to the what I've been playing. Would you believe it if I told you I've been playing a game called Starfield? I have not much to add to this. I finished the UC Vanguard faction quest line, and I've been doing some other side quest stuff. Um, but I just don't want to dwell on it too long because we got Starfield stuff to talk about in the comments, as we already touched on a little bit. Um, I, I still love Starfield. I'm almost 50 hours into the game, and still my core takeaway is I, I don't know why people got to ruin fun things for themselves. Just like, this is such a good game. I'm enjoying it so much. Um, it's just, I don't know, man. It's a massive open-world game where you can just kind of live out your space adventure, but it's not, like, empty and boring. It's not like I'm just flying a ship around in empty space endlessly and mindlessly it's not like i'm just exploring barren plants for no reason you can do that if you want but 
it's not like that's the game and you make your own fun out of it. Sure, you can explore barren planets and just build ships or build bases and do stuff like that and mine resources if you want to do that kind of thing. I don't. I want to go have enriching quests and and, and stories to tell um, by interacting with characters and engaging on quest lines and things like that. And this game offers so much of that. Between the main quest line and the factions quests I've already done so far, and some of the side quests too, it's just the game's storytelling, it's characters, it's NPCs, it's dialogue, it's writing. It's so rich, it's so exciting, it's so unique and fun that I just I just can't believe there's a sci-fi game that that feels like this, you know, that where I can kind of have that level of of unique and personalized storytelling um while, you know, not having to worry about like, oh man, it's a 12 hour experience. It'll be over soon. And then that's that. I mean, generally I prefer games like that, but like just the fact that Starfield feels like this game where I can hang it up for a month or two and then come back and play another five hours of it. One random Saturday afternoon and find an all new story to embark on. It's just so, it's so exciting and it's all some single player thing. It's not some seasonal live service event type thing. It's just this game that is what it is. And I know if I get distracted with Payday 3 and Alan Wake 2 and all these games in Modern Warfare 3, I can come back next spring and play some Starfield and just find a new story to embark on. And, and yes, obviously, the amount of story content in the game is limited, but there's just so many quest lines, so many ways to appreciate the game, so many things to embark on. I still have, like, seven things I'm working on at the same exact time in this game right now. I'm still trying to get Andreja to realize that she is my one true love. It hasn't happened yet, but I really think I'm getting close because she's starting to get really... Um, really personal with me and so i'm appreciative of that thank you andresia i love you please come back and um yeah i just i just don't want to get into the specifics too much i think we'll try to come back in a week or two and maybe do a proper starfield spoiler cast discussion but for now i just want to say that's still the primary thing i'm trying to play i'm very frustrated at my adult life right now because between work and just some things you know i'm trying to buy a house there's stuff happening the inspection this week and someone's fucking up this part of it i'm trying to buy home insurance my buddy's turning 30 i gotta go to a stupid birthday party and wish him a goddamn happy birthday like some kind of friend or something and it's just shit life is getting in the way and i hate it i hate all of it i hate every bit of it i'm like i had to spend my saturday night at a bar because it's my friend's birthday sitting at a table with a bunch of his friends talking about would you would you guess would you guess we're talking about starfield and boulders gate i'm like wow here i am on a saturday night paying to be in this place so i can sit with people and talk about a game i wish i was at home playing instead and uh you know no disrespect to anyone it was a wonderful time happy birthday buddy but it's just like i'm just i'm just trying to find time and, and it's, it's actually really a really wonderful feeling and a great place to be in that i don't get this feeling with a lot of games and starfield is one of those games where it's like I'm planning my entire life around trying to carve out some personal time to get back to this game. It's like, I don't know if I get, if I, if traffic's not too bad and you know, I do dishes and shower and get everything ready for tomorrow real quick. It's like, can I carve out like an hour and a half on Tuesday night to play Starfield? Or like, if I get the podcast notes done in time, will will I have like 45 minutes to play before I go to bed? Or like on Saturday, it's like, can I move this? Can I do this on Friday afternoon so I have more time Saturday morning so I can play some Star? I'm 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 just trying to find ways to engage with this game more, and that's really exciting because generally my relationship with gaming is more like, here's my free time, I want to unwind, listen to a podcast, and play a video game. What should I play? But Starfield is like, here's all that I have to do. I gotta. I need to find a way to get some Starfield in this schedule. I'm. I'm planning my life around the brief moments of Starfield time, and when a game has got you so hooked and so engaged that you're feeling that way, you know you're playing something special. 
I feel that way when a new Sonic game comes out. I feel that way when a new Halo game comes out. Starfield makes me feel that way, and that's how I know it's a good game. I know the space exploration, eh, and the and the, uh, the graphics aren't, the fruit isn't as realistic as Call of Duty 2019. I know PlayStation has more dead children and sad dads, and I know that Jim Ryan said this, and Phil Spencer had an email that said this, and, and Matt Booty showed his booty at the company party, and now everyone's mad, and Xbox is dropping in price, and stocks at Microsoft are falling, and can you believe it? Panos Panay just announced he's leaving Microsoft, and I'm crestfallen about all of it. It's all thing. But block out the noise for a second. God damn, Starfield's a special game. I'm just really, really enjoying this experience. So that's it. Now, I did force myself this Saturday. I had pretty much the whole second half of Saturday to do whatever, or Sunday, to do whatever the hell I wanted, which was great. So I, I spent most of it playing Starfield. But I did carve out about two, three hours to give this other game a try because I really, really want to give this game a go. And um, I'm glad I did, but I don't know if I'm going to come back and finish it. And this game is called Solar Ash. We talked about this last week. Um, Annapurna Interactive published, developed by Heart Machine, who are, of course, the guys behind Hyper Hyper Light Drifter, very popular indie game. Um, I wanted to play this game because it's basically like indie art team version of like Sonic the Hedgehog meets Tony Hawk meets Spider-Man with this kind of like fast fun movement around this like almost third person or, or sorry 3D action platformer type environment with rail grinding and stuff so it's got a little bit of like Shadow of the Colossus a little bit of Sonic the Hedgehog a little bit of Tony Hawk and Spider-Man and it's it's a really interesting game it's a six hour little indie action platformer type game and uh, I wanted to give it a try because I'm like on, on paper this is a Jesse game and for the first hour, I really wasn't feeling this game, but I forced myself to stick with it for about two and a half hours. By the end of it, I was like, okay, this is a game where, like, if there was nothing else going on right now, I would 100% play this game from start to finish and be like, that was pretty fun, really fun Game Pass game, glad I experienced it, some really good ideas in there, time to move on. But because it's coming out the time it's coming out, it's more of like a... I might come back to this game, but also Starfield, <laughs> but also Payday 3. So I, I like this game a lot. It's really cool. I'm a little tired of this kind of like minimalist indie art style where it's just like a deep saturated color palette with no texture or detail and everything's just kind of like vague and ambiguous. It's like you play this vague outline of a thing of a character kind of robed silky thing and you run around this world where there's blotches of color and you just kind of skid around. It kind of looks like Journey or a game like that or Flower or one of these kinds of like indie games. And I don't hate that art style, but it's kind of like the Adventure Time Cal Arts kind of thing where it's like I don't mind that every cartoon looks like Steven Universe or, or Gravity Falls or whatever. But it's like at the same time, it's like after you've seen it like a hundred times, you're like, okay, I'm a little tired of that. It's like the Fortnite thing, right? I don't mind that every game kind of looks like Fortnite. It's just that... You know, after seeing it for like the third or fourth or fifth or sixth or seventh time, you're just like, oh, okay, we get it. It's a, it's a Fortnite looking game. And so that's kind of how I feel aesthetically off the bat with this game. And then I'm like just breezing through the game, grinding on rails, running around, kind of Sonic the Hedgehog style. And I'm like, you know what this game needs is some Sonic music. So I turned off the music in the game because it wasn't all that inspiring. Boot up Spotify and blasted some Sonic Colors soundtrack. I'm like, this is what this game fucking needs. And blasting my Sonic music into the game absolutely helped elevate the experience a little bit. But I don't know. I just, it's, there's nothing particularly wrong with the game. It's just not particularly incredible. It's like a lot of these, like, it's like this open zone type game where you're just doing these little gate trials. It's like you find this thing, 
you break the little time gate trial thing and you quickly got to make it from one ass one end of the obstacle platforming challenge to the other side in in a good timing in, in a short period of time and and basically close the gap and, and restore this part of the map and then you do that enough times throughout the map and then a new giant comes up shadow of the classes style and you got to jump on its back and defeat it and it's like that's kind of the loop of the game you do that through like five or six areas of the map and then boom credits and you're done so it's a nice five to six hour little indie game it's pretty cool. I've seen about a third, a little over a third of the game in the two and a half hours I played of it. And, uh, you know, I, I like it. It's fun. Again, it's like if it were a slower time, I would definitely see this through the end. And I'd be like, hey, if you like games like Sonic or, or Tony Hawk or like these kinds of like uh, traversal style platforming kind of games, action games, something like Sunset Overdrive, like you might find something really fun in the movement of this game. Or if you're just a fan of 3D action platformers, you might really enjoy this game. But there's just so much good stuff out there right now. I'm like, I, I don't know that Solar Ash is really the game right now. So, I don't know. It's it's good. It's solid. It's just not pulling me like I expected to, especially it's especially weird considering how much I love these kinds of games. But I just got to be honest. It's, uh, it's good, but it's not amazing. And so, so, that's Solar Ash. It came out last week on Game Pass after being on PlayStation for for almost two years. Um, but yeah, it's on Xbox now, so it's still it's still worth a go if you are a fan of 3D action platformers. I think it's definitely worth checking out for sure. It's like a three gigabyte game. Why don't you give it a go? But that is it for what I've been playing. Let's take a quick break here, and then we will get all into this Xbox leak news. So excited to talk to you all about new Xbox hardware, Elder Scrolls Six, new controllers, much much more. So let's let's take a quick break and jump right into all that goodness. Okay, so let's just jump right into it, starting with. Basically, uh, the whole show's about here. Giant, massive, big, not small Xbox leaks. So, basically, overnight on Monday night, a bunch of leaks started hitting the internet. And I remember seeing a little something about Elder Scrolls Six, and be like, "Oh, that's nice." And then like, I fell asleep, and I woke up super early for work, like I do every day, and um, just like trying to like trying to just become conscious at like five in the morning and looking at my phone and being like. Here's here's a new Xbox. Look at it. It's a it's a freaking Amazon Circle speaker looking Xbox. And I'm like, oh, that's that's cute fan art. Uh, wake up and go to work. And then like it just I didn't think about it until I until I got to work and I checked my phone again. I'm like, what the fuck is happening? <laughs> but yeah, so this is to to read something to you to kind of set the groundwork. I pulled uh, a lot of this. The really good reporting was done uh, by Tom Warren over at The Verge. Um, so I've got some of his writing with IGN put together like a comprehensive list of all the news that that had leaked from this. And then, of course, I always use VGC to fill in the, you know, to fill in some of the stuff because I just like their writing and I think they're pretty comprehensive and on point. So it's a little bit from all three of those sites, but we've put together a big old list of all the stories that have leaked as a result of this. But let's just jump right in. This week, several unredacted, highly confidential documents from Microsoft began appearing online. These documents were part of Microsoft's legal case against the U.S. regulator, the Federal Trade Commission or the FTC. The case was argued back in June with a verdict reached in July, ruling in favor of Microsoft. The document in question have revealed highly sensitive information regarding Microsoft's gaming arm, Xbox, where its hardware roadmap in the coming years and other gaming developers uh, it has its eyes on acquiring. To dive deeper here is a breakdown of all the news revealed through the leaked documents. And that's a little write-up from IGM. So starting with Elder Scrolls 6, this is the thing I started seeing the most at first. It was like Monday night, Elder Scrolls 6, here we go. And we now know, I guess we'll talk about it at the end, 
all of these things were, were leaked accidentally via Microsoft, actually. So someone there over at Xbox is about to lose their job, unfortunately. Someone at Microsoft is about to lose their job or has already lost their job, unfortunately, because this is a really egregious leak. This is the, the, the worst leak I've probably ever seen in gaming. But anyway, the, the best way to explain what we have first here to talk about Elder Scrolls 6 is this chart. And this is a chart from back when... This is a chart from back in the early time of when Xbox acquired Bethesda. And what this chart shows is a list of announced slash upcoming Bethesda games and then like uh, like a T-chart showing like who's developing it, existing IP, major multiplayer game, and then it's like checks and X's to decide like where how, how Xbox is kind of approaching these games as they go into this acquisition stage of Bethesda. And so it shows like, Deathloop and Ghostwire Tokyo, and it's like, is it an existing IP? No. Is it a multiplayer game? In the case of Deathloop, yes. In the case of Ghostwire Tokyo, no. Is it cross-platform? No. Um, and then they ask, will the game release on PlayStation? And so it has like a check, yes, because obviously that marketing, that the or the um, the limited uh, exclusivity deal that PlayStation had signed with Bethesda um, back shortly before Microsoft acquired Bethesda, uh, that led to Deathloop and Ghostwire Tokyo being one-year timed exclusives for PlayStation. So that's an example of the kind of stuff that was on this list. But this is a list from back in like 2020, 2021. And so it then goes into things like Elder Scrolls Online and Fallout 76, to which we all know, you know, back in the early days of the Xbox acquiring Bethesda deal, Phil Spencer was talking about exclusivity in the realm of like games that already have like a pre-existing relationship and, and history on PlayStation will continue to be supported on that platform. As for new games, new IP going forward, those will mostly be pretty much Xbox exclusive games. Well, now the chart shows Starfield and it shows, is it going to be on PlayStation? And it's a red X for no. So we all know how that ended up turning out. Of course, Starfield is an Xbox exclusive. It is not available on PlayStation. And that one wasn't really to anyone's surprise at the time it was like new ip new opportunity to have an xbox exclusive that's why you're buying bethesda over after all so that one makes sense and then it shows redfall same logic right um not hitting playstation but then it shows elder scrolls 6 and it says a couple things it says releasing on playstation no and then it says uh when's the release date it says to be continued but expect 2026 or later Platforms available, Xbox and PC only. And then Microsoft has a statement on it that says, in order to be on Xbox, I want to be able to bring the full complete package of what we are of what we have and what we would and that would be true when I think about Elder Scrolls Six. So basically that's a fill quote. Basically saying on this T chart, and this is like information to like investors and stuff trying to explain the acquisition to to people internally at Xbox saying Elder Scrolls six would be an Xbox exclusive. Now, if you circle back Phil and, and Todd Howard and everyone's been kind of dodgy on Elder Scrolls six and whether or not it would come to PlayStation, they talk about, we want to make it to available to as many players as possible. And then like back to the FTC a few months ago, they were saying how it hadn't been decided yet. If Elder Scrolls six was going to be Xbox exclusive. Now, I don't know if this is something that was kind of decided following Starfield's success being an Xbox game and kind of what Starfield was able to do for Game Pass and Xbox as an exclusive, or if this was always in the plans, and I assume it was always in the plans, but it looks like they are planning for Elder Scrolls to Elder Scrolls 6 to be an Xbox PC exclusive exactly in the way that Starfield is, which is crazy because the difference between Starfield and Elder Scrolls 6 is, of course, Elder Scrolls is a pre-existing IP that has a history on PlayStation. It's not... So it's, it's like kind of somewhere in between like 
Starfield and like Elder Scrolls Online, where it's an existing IP that has a history on PlayStation, but it's a completely new entry that will stand still alone for a decade plus and be the only Elder Scrolls game, you know, whatever of the of its time. So you could hypothetically not put it on PlayStation, still get away with your statement about supporting games that have a history on that platform because you can say, but yeah, we're keeping Elder Scrolls Online available on PlayStation. We're not taking that away. And so I think that's kind of the logic they're going for. Um, you know, so I guess I guess this shouldn't be so surprising. But, you know, I, I mean, I guess there was a little bit of like this gray area with trying to interpret Phil Spencer's words with like, Okay, games with a pre-existing history will continue to be supported on those platforms like PlayStation, but Elder Scrolls 6 is kind of seen as a fresh start or a clean break for the franchise, a new opportunity for it to be kind of reset, and therefore making this Xbox exclusive is okay because this isn't Skyrim, this isn't Elder Scrolls Online or a previous Elder Scrolls game that has been affiliated with PlayStation. It's a little sneaky with the wordplay, if you ask me, but... I think it's the right decision for Xbox to make anyway. I think at first it seemed like they were being a little too liberal with trying to get some of these games on PlayStation. It's like, listen, man, I understand you're going to continue to support like Fallout 76 and Elder Scrolls Online, but like you bought Bethesda for a reason. You spent $7.5 billion for a reason. You might as well, you know, you might as well get your money's worth and put Starfield and Elder Scrolls in these games exclusively on Xbox. Just after all, those are going to be the kinds of games that are going to drive Game Pass subscriber numbers and get people to go out and buy an Xbox. So it seems like they're well aware of that and they don't need uh, we armchair Xbox fanboys saying these kinds of things online. They were already, you know, despite what they were saying to press and things like that, they were already planning for Elder Scrolls 6 to be a console exclusive. So that's the first thing there is that we, we have that confirmation now, which is really important. But then you think, okay, that's a huge leak. That's big news. That's really exciting for Xbox, and you know, and it's the longevity of that brand, and giving the game, giving the platform something really exciting to look forward to. But yada yada yada. And hey, twenty twenty six or later release date. I think if, if someone, you know, if, if someone could look into the future and confirm, hey, Elder Scrolls Six comes out in twenty twenty six, I think a lot of people would say that's not too bad. Three years after Starfield, that's really not too bad. Now, I think everyone knows there's going to be guaranteed at least a one-year delay on Elder Scrolls Six. So, even 2027, I think 2027 for Elder Scrolls Seven or Six is a uh, is is not not too bad to be you know four years after Starfield. Like, I actually think that's pretty impressive. Now, obviously, they have a lot of Elder Scrolls stuff already built out. They have that kind of world already built out in a lot of ways, and so it's kind of about reimagining it and bringing it over into a new more fully realized next-gen Elder Scrolls game. And also, Creation Engine 2 is a huge part of what took Starfield so long. So, you know, they already got that new engine up and running and fully fleshed out. So, in a lot of ways, it's like, I could see why Elder Scrolls 6 won't take nearly as long as Starfield. I don't expect Elder Scrolls 6 to take uh, as long as Starfield. But, I don't know, it's just after waiting eight years between Fallout 4 and Starfield, I'm like, I, I, I guess we should just assume eight years between Starfield and Elder Scrolls 6. But, no, it looks like it could be three or four years which is quite impressive i wonder i wonder how long because bethesda game studios they have basically the way they work is it's like everyone works on one game at a time so while i assume the majority of their team was working on starfield up until pretty recently they must have had somewhat of a sizable secondary team that had moved on to elder scroll 6 a while ago because you know games are made in various you know, there's different teams work on different as aspects of the game. So for the past year or two of Starfield, it's very possible that there's many disciplines, many, many 
parts of the Bethesda Game Studios team that haven't needed to be working on Starfield. You know, you don't need your writers and your voice actors and all that stuff necessarily working on on a game that's 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 done that you're just polishing up and refining necessarily. So it's possible that they've had various types of uh, personnel, various teams working on Elder Scrolls Six for a while now, and that really now that Starfield is complete, it's it's pretty much going full hands on deck for this Elder Scrolls 6, which they might already have, you know, a, a, a decent treatment completed for. They got the engine up and running. They already have a bunch of assets and ideas and, and plans for the game kind of in place already. So now it's about taking action, starting to build out that plan. So you could see how a game like Elder Scrolls 6, despite knowing it's going to be much bigger than Skyrim was, will probably be, honestly, maybe smaller in scope than Starfield. And then also just take less time to kind of execute on. I mean, it's maybe easier to make the sixth entry of something than to make the first entry of something brand new, I guess, if that makes sense. So that's that's big news. Very exciting, I think. So that's the first thing. So that in and of itself was already a huge story. But then it gets crazier, and it gets crazier and crazier and crazier because next we learn about Xbox's mid-generation console refreshes, leaked documents, including images of new Xbox hardware. This picture starts to appear online. It looks like an Xbox Series X had disgusting, dirty uh, backseat of a Camaro intercourse with an Amazon Alexa. And we see this new Project Brooklyn, which is a, a an Xbox Series X refresh, a mid-generation refresh. And before I even go further into that, it's like, wait a second. Phil Spencer was the one in, in the news recently talking about how, like, we don't need a, a mid-generation refresh. The Xbox Series X is the mid-generation refresh. The Series S is the base model anyway. So if you want that Xbox Series X Pro Edition or whatever, it's like, get yourself a Series X. There it is. It's the most powerful console ever made. Um, but that's like kind of only half true because what we have here, it's not a Pro model. It's not a. a it's not a an X model. You know, like the Xbox One X or something like that. Because this isn't a new Xbox Series X that has a new processor with way more power and way, you know, 8K gaming or anything like that. It's ostensibly, for the most part, the same console, but with some tweaks and improvements and enhancements, but it's not necessarily going to make games run faster or look better or anything like that. So this is what the, the leaked graphics, I mean, these are internal graphics that look like, you know, like this is like seriously finalized looking data where they, they say, so the, 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 console the hardware project name is brooklyn and they say brooklyn will deliver 4k gen 9 console gaming which is you know what the series x does uh with more internal storage faster wi-fi reduced power a more immersive co uh, controller and a beautiful redesign that elevates the all digital experience of the X xbox ecosystem okay so let's we'll talk about that in a second let's let's read these bullet points <clears throat> they said it will have a beautiful and innovative new design it comes with two terabytes of storage as opposed to the Series X's current one terabyte of storage. It's great. It'll have USB-C in the front for power delivery instead of USB-C-A or standard USB-C. Um, all new, more immersive controller. We'll get to that in a little bit. And it'll, it'll stay at the same great price. It'll stay at $500 US instead of going up to $550 or $600. It's the same price. Um, additionally... It will have a new South Bridge to modernize the I.O. or the input-output and sustain uh, and add to the Microsoft's ongoing sustainability efforts. So whatever, it's redesigned to be 
more sustainable or refresh, whatever. Uh, Wi-Fi 6E radio, so better throughput, lower latency, and less interference or more interference mitigation. It'll have Bluetooth 5.2 radio for improved accessory experiences, controllers, headsets, that sort of thing, and 6 nanometer die shrink for improved efficiency. Lastly, it says the reduced power supply unit power by 15%, so the console will take less power to operate. New lower power standby mode in 20% of current Xbox Series S standby mode. Um, so it'll be incredibly power efficient. And increased use of PCR on housing to more than 30%. Um, I don't really know exactly what to make of that. And then 100% recyclable packaging. So again, Microsoft and all these tech companies are on their crazy whatever sustainability effort to, for tax purposes and to look uh, good. But anyway, I'm not going to, you know, discredit that stuff. It's good. And regardless of what the reason is, it's whatever. Good is good. So basically this is uh this is less of like going from Xbox one to Xbox one X and more like going from Xbox one to Xbox one S. So it's like the slim model. It's like the improved, enhanced, tweaked slim model. The big thing here is, it's all digital. It's a Series X that's all digital, but the Series S is already all digital. So if this is your new Series X replacing the current model, although they don't mention replacing the current model, I assume this is set to replace the current model, and then the Series S is already not available with a hard drive, this is Xbox saying once we put this thing out into the wild, all Xboxes will come discless. There will be no way to put a disc into an Xbox which is huge news. Well, more on that in a second. Double the storage, that's greatly welcomed. USB-C, it's greatly welcomed. Same price, that's greatly welcomed. Better Wi-Fi and Bluetooth and less power consumption and all these things, great. It's a great slim model. I actually think it looks a lot uglier than the current Series X. I really like the harsh edge, boxy, brutal look of the Series S and Series X. I think they look great now that we've had them a couple of years. I I greatly appreciate and admire the design of both consoles, especially the Series X. I think Series S is like cool and cute. Series X is beautiful. I think Series X is honestly I, I got I, and I don't just say this because I like Xbox. I mean this in all sincerity. I think the Xbox Series X is probably like top three most attractive looking video game consoles of all time i know we have video game consoles we think like we're nostalgic for we just appreciate it for what whatever reasons but like just i'm just trying to be like objective i think like as a serious looking bespoke centerpiece to your entertainment center i, I think the xbox series x like it looks attractive like you could be an adult and have adult friends over and have your xbox pr proudly displayed on your entertainment system and it doesn't look goofy or childish like I don't know. Like, I don't mean this to throw shade. PS5, I think PS5 looks cool. I, I appreciate it being loud and ridiculous, but it looks a little juvenile, right? Like, it's cool, it's different, but it's a little juvenile. Like, you know, something like, I don't know, the Switch looks like shit. I'll just be honest. I thought the Wii looked beautiful. The Wii is still Nintendo's most compelling console design. I love that platform that made it look like it was ascending forward in the front. Like, that's a, that slanted stand. I think that's a beautiful look. I'm, I don't know. What's that? What's that quote from 2006 YouTube? It's a crappy PS2 dressed up like a MacBook. Uh, I think the Wii looks wonderful. Uh, it's just a really beautiful design. But I don't know. I think Series X is up there in that conversation. Like I thought 360 looked great at the time, but maybe hasn't aged as well. It's nostalgic for sure, but I don't think it like looks beautiful by today's standards. So I don't know, man. Like when I think of like the most compelling looking video game hardware, I don't know. Like NES looks really good. 
PS2 looks really good. I actually think PS2 and PS4 look really good. Those are beautiful consoles, actually. Yeah, I'd say like maybe like NES, PS2, PS4. I like the Xbox One, but I know a lot of people don't. Um, Xbox One S and X, pretty good looking. Xbox Series S and Series X, really good looking. And uh, yeah, I don't know. Wii, I think Wii looks so good. Shout out to the Wii. Fuck you if you didn't like the Wii. You're dumb. Your mom adopted you or something. I don't know. Anyway, I think this console looks ugly. I don't like the Amazon Echo circular cylindrical. Like It's like still the tall stack like the Series X currently is, but now it's like a cylinder. Um, and the uh, Xbox logo is centered on the bottom. I don't I don't like that. I like the off-center look. I don't know. Whatever. It doesn't matter. It, at the end of the day, it's a box that sits in your entertainment system. You forget about it and you play games on it. So let's stop talking about it. Let's stop worrying about it. Let's talk about the thing that actually matters. I think people are going to be, in fact, actually, I already know people are going to be up in arms about it because my stupid ass re-downloaded Twitter this week after deleting it last week just to try and take a break from it. And, uh, of course, I was met with uh, nothing I should have, I, I, nothing I needed to see, which is just people freaking out and complaining about nothing. But uh, unsurprisingly so, people are up in arms that if and when this plan is put into action, Xbox will no longer have a disc version. Personally, I'm more upset that we're going to have a circular and a boxy looking Xbox. I think both boxes should look like boxes, but that's my, that's my, you know, that's, that's my burden to bear or my ax to grind, I suppose. But yeah, I mean, here's the thing, man. Year over year, people are flocking to digital over physical like crazy. It's insane. It's like it's something like five years ago. It was like twenty five percent, twenty five or thirty percent of games were digital versus physical. Like five years ago or something like that. And today it's like eighty percent. I think it's. I think they say it's like something like less than a quarter of games purchased on PlayStation and Xbox hardware are purchased physically. And obviously, Series S has greatly accelerated that because being the cheaper box, more people have flocked to the Series S as opposed to the Series X. So. Already more than half of people buying Xboxes today anyway are getting digital Xboxes that don't have disk drives. So obviously Xbox could easily ameliorate the concerns of, of, of the diehard disk owners by being like, here, we're making Xbox compatible with a generic disk drive. You can buy a Blu-ray disk drive, plug it into your Xbox via USB-C, pop in your favorite fucking physical game, and it will read just like if you had an internal disk drive. They, I'm sure they can do that and will do that if this really is the future, that there's just no option for buying um, physical games. But, I mean, I I have so... I don't know, man. I just have so little remorse and concern and, like, empathy for the people that complain about digital only because there's the people who are like, well, some places, internet's not really good, so, like, downloading a game takes forever. It's like, bitch, every physical game is just a download key anyway, man. You fucking pop in the latest Call of Duty on your Xbox for the first time, and it goes, great, there's one gigabyte of data on this Blu-ray disc. Now stand by while we download the other 117 gigs to get you going, you know? It's like, I don't I don't know, like, what that's all about. And then people talk about video game preservation. It's like, I... I don't really, I don't know, man. At some point, they stopped manufacturing the physical disc anyway. So why does it matter? Why does why does it matter if it's like, you know, physical versus digital? Because it's like, yeah, I mean, I guess they could take a game offline off a storefront eventually, and then you wouldn't be able to buy it anymore. But they can also stop manufacturing a fucking game at some point. And then you can go to you can't go to Walmart or Best Buy and buy it. Although I guess there's always the resale market, so I understand that point. But like, I don't know, man. For the most part, I just feel like. 
the complaint and the belly aching and the need to hold on the physical media is just such a it's such an old debate it's such a much to do about nothing it's like i don't know man like wouldn't it suck if like the way phones work if like if apple had kowtowed to like the way console gamers feel about shit and it's like uh introducing the I- it's 2007 steve jobs like inter- introducing the iphone you- we have a digital storefront where you can download apps but we know you motherfuckers are gonna bitch and moan about it so you can uh, uh developers can also make cartridge based versions of their applications and then you can go to your favorite retail your brick and mortar retail store and purchase a cartridge version of the app instead of downloading it and then plug it into your iphone and, and, and you can have one app run at a time by plugging it into your fucking iphone like a goddamn idiot it's like i I get it that people want to hold on and there are various reasons why people want to have the collectible the physical edition and all these and i I want to remain respectful to that but at the same time just like fuck off man it's like have you ever downloaded i don't understand how anyone has ever played a game digitally like a digitally downloaded game on their xbox and then gone that's cool that i can just like go into my library and change to any game at any time because it's all downloaded to my console i'm gonna go to Best Buy and buy physical games now so I can stand up in my living room like a complete incel and swap discs out like it's fucking 1987 or some shit like that. That's not even true in the 80s. The the, the disc media was more like a 90s. I don't care. You look dumb and I'm pointing and I'm laughing at you because you like disc media and that makes you stupid. Dumb idiot. But um, all joking aside, it's just, I don't know. I can't be bothered because this is just an inevitable march towards progress. And I know people for all their various personal reasons, it's like people still complaining about headphone jacks on, on phones. It's like, I know, I know, I know there's always going to be the contingency of people that want it to always stay the way it is. But uh, this is a way to control costs at the end of the day. And it's also a way to improve repairability and durability of a console. And it's also a way to just kind of keep the console more simplistic and streamlined. It's also a way to create more space internally in the device to make it more efficient. It's like, how do you think they're able to make it more eco-friendly and more power efficient and more um, and, and quieter and install better this and that? It's like, because without that fucking heavy-ass, chunky, stupid motherfucking disk drive crammed into the box, taking up 10% of the space... They got all this room now to do other things that matter more. So just download your games like a normal human being. Calm down. Walmart will be fine without you going there to buy the latest laser suit layer game. And welcome to the 21st century. Glad you're here. You know, you can fucking burn your Y2K prepper book over in the fire pit we got over here. Grab a bag of marshmallows and enjoy the future. Okay, baby? So that's that's the thing. Man, we spent so long uh, of me just bitching and moaning about people that like physical games. I forgot to talk about all the leaks and stuff. But yeah, I mean, so this this is huge news. So this is to say that Xbox isn't just going to sit sit around and let Series S and X as they are today linger for an eight-year console cycle without any kind of a, updates or changes at all. Obviously, we already got the Xbox Series S now in black with more storage that just came out a few weeks ago, but this is more substantial. This is a redesign or a vision of the console. It's not an, it's not a Pro or an X model that's going to bump it up with a new processor or anything like that or some additional teraflops, but it's a, it's a, it's an S model. It's a slim model that's going to refine the experience, which is really cool and exciting. I just wish, uh, I wish it was, I wish it was still boxy. Why is it? Uh, why is the curve thing? Uh, the curve thing's annoying me. Uh, it looks like a freaking Python. Uh, it looks like a pylon. I meant to say pylon. I said python. Looks like a snake. All right, let's move on. So that's not it for Xbox hardware. We got more to talk about. So they have this launch timeline that they're talking about for fiscal year 24 and 25. So we're talking about 
next year, next May, June, late May next year, Microsoft is planning, Xbox is planning to now announce uh, what they call, I don't know if it's Sebiel, Sebiel, I'm going to call it Sebiel, who gives a shit? Announce in, in late May of next year, this uh, Sebiel, which is a new controller. It's Xbox's take on the PlayStation DualSense. It's their response to the PlayStation DualSense, which we know Xbox has been impressed with and, and curious about since the PS5 launched, because shortly after PS5 and Series X launched in November of 2020, um, Phil Spencer was like, yeah, it's a cool controller. I wonder what we could do with the Xbox controller to kind of beef it up a little bit, because a lot of people were like, yeah, the new Xbox controller is just a, a tiny revision on the one that already exists. And PlayStation's got this new cool haptic feedback dual sense thing. And, and this is Xbox's response to that. So we'll get into that more in a little bit. Then in uh, late June, July-ish time of next year, they're planning on the mid-gen console announcement. That's when they would announce the Elwood and the Brooklyn. Now, we just talked about Brooklyn being the updated refreshed Series X. The Elwood is the updated refreshed Series S. So the, I assume this will also be a cylindrical looking Series S model. And late June, early July-ish time period or around June, July, um, for those who need a refresher, that's usually around the time Xbox does their big summer showcase event, which is kind of weird because usually they do that early in June, but this timeline is showing it would be late June, late June, new month, Late June, early July, uh, which is kind of closer to like Summer Game Fest. So I'm wondering what that's all about, if there's anything to look into there. But then, um, so announced June, July-ish, they would plan on launching the Elwood in August, September, and the Brooklyn in October, November. So I'm assuming September, November would be the dates. But that's interesting. It's a staggered launch. So the... So the slim model of the Xbox Series S would be launched next September, and the slim model of the Series X would follow suit two months later in November. Another weird thing is just that Series S is already so freaking slim and cute. It's like, what are you, what are you gonna freaking do? Do another, make it even slimmer and smaller? What are we doing, Xbox? What are you, if you make it any smaller, people are gonna lose it? Okay, so come on. Come on now, Xbox. You got you can't. There's such a thing as too small over here. So not actually complaining about that. Just saying it's, it's crazy, man. So, yeah, so there's a 60-day separation between launches, two months, and they, uh, enabling uh, dialogue with different audiences so they can spend time focusing on the marketing for each box, which is an interesting approach instead of doing a day one launch, like like dual launch, um, and then allows them to focus on the improvements of the new the new control, the Sabeel, tell stories beyond console, is what they call it, adds value to the Brooklyn and the Elwood announcement. So the idea is that this new controller will be launched with these new boxes. So when you buy the refined, the new updated Series S or X, the Sabeel controller will be launching with it. It will come in the box. Instead of the standard default Xbox controller, you will get this new Sabeel. Oh, and then they also do. They also give this. They have marketing strategies for everything else. So listen to this. Um, gives Elwood its own moment earlier in the holiday time frame to maximize sales, so that one doesn't cannibalize the other, and they they can get their target markets independently. And then also it says last chance Edith, five hundred twelve gigabyte model at one ninety nine as Black Friday offer before end of life. So Edith being the regular Series S, like the one we all currently have, they're saying that what they would do is next fall before they stop manufacturing it, they would drop it from 300 bucks down to 200 bucks for black Friday and use that sale to push through the remaining inventory. And then they would stop manufacturing and selling the regular 
Xbox Series S as we know it today. So that's crazy. They're basically just gonna replace Series S, and by that logic, we can um, by that logic we can we can assume that they're gonna do something similar with the Series X, where these refreshed models are going to completely replace Series S and X as we know it. And then uh, they say Starkville end of life ahead of Brooklyn launch. I don't know what that means. I assume that means xbox series x and then brooklyn arrives just in time for gifting season but separate from elwood and that's the new series x so basically these consoles are going to completely replace the ones we currently have and um i just i'm not i'm not excited for my xboxes to be circular and cylindrical so that is that is really weighing on me but otherwise i'm all for this i will 100 percent buy this slim model series x i'll be in my house by then i'll be moved into my house you know have a series x in, the, in my office and a Series X in the living room. That's what I'm thinking. Series S can move into the bedroom as a glorified Netflix player. I love this. This is a great way for a childless millennial like myself to find more ways to spend money on the same fucking product. I just, I love being a consumer. But uh, that's actually the honest to God truth, unfortunately. Anyway, I don't know. This is, this is crazy stuff. And, it, and it's, so, it's so devastating because I do want this to kind of be, as exciting as it is for all of us to be learning about this, I do want to like also pay tribute or acknowledge you know that this is really sad and disappointing that this is happening because this takes the wind out of xbox's sales which you know not like physically not like sales like the money they're gonna make but sales isn't like you know the wind out of their sales the expression like the sailor expression uh because it kind of sucks that it's like now they don't get to control when this stuff is announced which makes it just less exciting for when it inevitably happens and the reason why that matters so much is because these would be really exciting things for us to talk about next summer when they're supposed to be announced and now instead we're talking about them today and then next summer when we talk about them it'll be a lot less interesting and therefore give us less to really chew on and consider um because it's just like oh yeah the thing we already knew was coming that we already had photos of it's it's here yay so that's unfortunate all right, before we get into any more of this, let's uh let's talk more about this Sabeel controller because I think that needs to be needs to be addressed. So, so they say new hardware in general, but let's let's emphasize on this 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 piece of tech right here. So, the next this is from VGC. The next evolution of the Xbox controller will have improved haptic feedback, an accelerometer, speakers, and a rechargeable and replaceable battery. The controller appears to be unredacted by court do documents that we already talked about this is xbox's roadmap to 2030 that's what this is all these hardware announcements and everything it's like them trying to outline their plan for xbox between now and the end of the decade um, the document includes information on microsoft's mid-generation consoles and also an all-new immersive controller the controller codename sabeel is uh is then detailed in the document with the new features listed below which are as follows Improved precision haptic feedback using VCA or voice coil uh, actuators, which double as speakers. This is kind of like a tribute to what Sony does with the uh, DualSense controller, but also a little bit what the Steam controller used to do, where it can use the haptic or, or coils to emulate sound, basically, to, to create sound, to make the controller basically do noises. <laughs> uh, it also has an accelerometer, which also adds a lift to wake feature, which I think is really cool. It's a weird phone feature that I think actually makes perfect sense in a controller. I think that's awesome. It has a modular thumbstick, so you can you know replace it, customize it, swap it out. A rechargeable battery, which can be swapped out. So it's basically that, that rechargeable battery that we always have to buy 
for our Xboxes. That rechargeable battery we always have to buy for our Xbox controllers now basically comes included. So the good thing is it's still swappable. I assume it can also take AA batteries. I assume. I don't know for sure. But that's one of the things that people complain about the Xbox controller. I used to complain about this with Xbox controllers and didn't realize the benefit was that on-demand new battery kind of option where Xbox controllers, you can take out the batteries and replace them, which is just so nice because it's like, okay, well, now my batteries are dead, but I'm not done playing swap the batteries and you don't have to have your controller wired up to recharge so i always admired that and appreciate that about xbox so i hope this thing still will take double a's if you want to or i guess at the very least you have a different battery pack but okay it'll still be swappable at the very least which is very much in the vein of xbox and then lastly they say it'll have quieter buttons and thumbsticks now the documents also say the controller will still have a special edition, limited edition color variation as expected. It will also be added to the Xbox Design Lab service, which lets players create their own custom controllers. So you will be able to do this controller in the Xbox Design Labs as well, just like the other controllers, like you can already do with the Elite or the standard controllers. So this will be another controller you can customize and, and, and make all your own. The controller appears to be largely feature uh, the same form factor as the current Xbox controllers. However, it appears the bottom half of the controller may use different materials for the purpose of grip. So kind of like that two-tone thing that the Elite controllers have, where like the bottom is grip and the top is like a plastic plastic casing um although it, it's kind of weird it looks something between like the regular xbox controller and an xbox elite controller with like a little touch of like the dual sense in it which i, I don't i don't love i gotta be honest i really don't love the way this controller looks um although maybe it will look different once we see like more accurate renderings or we see it in person or something but it looks a little bit ugly. I think the Xbox controller actually looks quite attractive. Uh, both Basically, since the 360, I think the Xbox controller has looked quite attractive. But this one looks just a tad bit ugly. Um, kind of like the DualSense looks, which is like, eh, it's kind of, a, kind of an ugly controller. But, but I mean, it's cool. Like, the features and everything is cool. Hopefully, it has decent battery life because I hear the, the DualSense has terrible battery life because of all these features and haptics and things like that. So, hopefully, you know, I assume this controller will have worse battery life than a regular Xbox controller. But... Hopefully it's not so much worse that it's like an actual pain in the ass. Like, oh, I guess four hours to a charge. Hopefully that's not where we uh, where we end up uh, with this. It's weird because they, I don't know, one thing at a time. Sorry. I'm, I'm being excited because there's so much here to look at and talk about. Um, so anyway, so that's the uh, Seville controller. It looks like it will be bundled as the default controller that comes with an Xbox console when you buy the new slim model of the Series S or X that come out next year. And in addition to that, they will still sell the regular Xbox controller and they will call it the core controller. So the, your classic Xbox controller you have now will be a core controller. The Sabil is like a premium controller and the elite will be the Xbox elite as we know it now. Now, another thing that they have in these leaks, and there's so many things in these leaks, but not, I don't even think we'll get to every little detail of all of this, but some of the documents support the idea that they're working on an Elite Controller 3.0, and what I assume that will be is uh, basically the Elite Controller as we know it, but they will implement some of the haptics and features that the Sabil or the Premium Controller will have, so that it's like the Elite continues to be the master race of Xbox controllers with all the bells and whistles, most premium special edition there is. The Sabil will be all the bells and whistle like features, new cool features, but in like a more traditional form factor. And then the core controller will just be the Xbox controller we've already always known and loved. So you'll have three options for controllers with Xbox going forward, which is uh, really honestly a lot of choice for consumers. I wonder how long that's going to last before something has to give and, and leave the market. Or maybe they can find a way to carve out and, and make all three of these make sense. But they're talking about like selling 
I mean, they have like charts displaying like how much they, how much money they expect to make off these controllers. Now they expect it to be a huge revenue source for the company. I mean, it's just it's just crazy stuff here. Oh, I should have read this at the top. Mr. Mal wrote in and says, "Well, Jesse, it seems leaked Microsoft documents are showing us revamped Series X with no disk drive, a new controller, and more." Also, apologies for being MIA. No apologies. Thank you for being here, Mr. Mal. Good to see you. Uh, yeah, I mean. <laughs> bad timing on me implementing the question but thank you for writing in and obviously yeah i mean this is exciting exciting stuff so i guess let's move on to this this um xbox gaming beyond um internal piece that they have here it's a little graphic that shows all the hardware and 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 places they want xbox to be and basically this is their 2030 goal so they're driving the sustainability and accessibility thing which is we already knew and uh, they, the plan throughout the decade is to have Xbox be, basically be accessible and playable through web browsers, which we already kind of see, mobile for Android, Android and iOS, which we already kind of see, smart TVs, which we already kind of see, low-end to mid-PCs, which we already see, uh, 3P streaming sticks and set-top boxes, that's the one we're waiting on, that one's almost here. Cloud devices, which remember the Xbox cloud device that was canceled, but pretty far along development. Apparently, that's they still have funding for that, and that's still on the table according to these internal documents. So that's not even t- entirely dead and gone. Um, they also say Xbox handhelds, and they show a generic picture of like a Steam Deck looking handheld device for Xbox. Which unfortunately, they have this labeled in the category of um, not funded projects, like aspirational first party stuff so there's no actively developed xbox handheld in fact they even say that they probably won't be making one and that they'll continue to rely on third parties to do these handheld devices but god almighty i really think xbox should do one of these and i'd really love to see xbox do one of these and i hope that just the fact that they even have this kind of graphic in here shows that they're talking about it considering it surveying the market trying to figure out a way that this could make sense for them because if listen i Steam Deck's cool, all these Razer devices and all these other companies and the Lenovo's making this and that and all that, and the PlayStation Portal. All these devices are cool. I support them all, but, man, if Xbox jumps in the the ring and makes one of these, like, a dedicated Xbox handheld device like this, I don't care. I don't care if it's 300 bucks or 600 bucks. I'm 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 pre-ordering right now. Like let me get one of these motherfucking things. I want this so bad. I think this is such a good idea. I cannot believe following the success of the Switch and the Steam Deck and all the Steam Deck like devices that Xbox hasn't been more aggressive and quick to be like we got to find a way into this market. But it really just goes to show how unimportant the hardware has become for Xbox in a way. Like the core box and the accessories itself, yes. But it just seems like they're so focused on subscriptions and Game Pass and being available on more devices rather than creating their own devices. It seems to be the key factor here. And, and listen, I'd rather them focus on doing the things they're doing well than just spread thinner and thinner and thinner. But if there's one thing they need to spread a little thinner for, come on, man. An Xbox handheld would be so fucking cool. Um, they also talk about being on high-end PCs. Of course, they're already there. Cloud Blade, uh, which I don't I assume that just means cloud, which they're already there. Um talking about design for xbox hardware that's usually the partnership they do with third-party hardware and then which they already do uh one-handed controller which i think that's just a media remote which they they should still do that i believe they still make that i actually don't know the answer to that mobile controllers it shows like the razor kishi and things like that backbone controllers there you have that audio shows the xbox headset and then it shows the core premium and elite controllers um consoles gaming keyboard and mouse so these are all the inputs accessories 
and devices where you can play and engage with Xbox through 2030, and that's their goal. So everything's basically already enabled and, and available here. It's just that Xbox doesn't have their own handheld, but they have talked about maybe one day trying to attain funding for a project like that internally, which I really hope they pursue eventually because like the chart shows things like the Sibyl and everything's already funded and done. Um, but uh, they got like this at the top of the pyramid here. They got the fucking Xbox handheld and I want it. I want to see you. I want to play you. I want to own you and play. It was just so funny because I don't even really like handheld gaming. I just really want Xbox to make one because I don't know. I'm a consumer and I just look for shit to buy, I guess. Whew. But yeah, rounding out the conversation. So I think uh, next year Xbox will be in a strong position. It'll have hopefully a much stronger library because this the latter half of this year is kind of kicking with the first party and the next year has got a really full slate. So as long as these games hit on time and are, and are good, Xbox should have a great year with really excellent first party support as well as new hardware that's really in compelling and a new controller that kind of puts them on par with like what DualSense is doing. So this is really, really cool. And apparently there's going to be like uh, new tech in the controller to try and make it pairable with multiple devices and then maybe have like a switch feature where you'll be able to basically have one Xbox controller paired to multiple devices so you can easily have your Xbox Sibyl controller switch from being connected to your Xbox Series X console to being connected to your iPhone to being connected to your PC so you can just switch on the fly. You can already kind of do that a little bit with the Xbox controllers as they are now but it's not as seamless and, 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 and succinct as it should be so like a more refined and easy way of doing that is apparently going to be one of the features of this controller. And that's just so freaking awesome. Um, so yeah, I mean this, I, the controller super excited about it. The new hardware, super excited about it. And this is the stuff from this leak. That's like confirmed. This is like the stuff that's happening. Obviously Xbox didn't come out and say, yes, the leaks are real. And, and this controller is coming next year, just like it says we are. Um, but these are the things that are funded are indeed ready to go. They have this plan for next year. It's coming. This stuff is coming. The Sabeel, the Brooklyn, the Elwood. These are things we can just uh, go ahead go ahead and look forward to because this is what we're getting from Xbox next year. Um, also, yeah, also I guess it will have blue. It will have um, Wi-Fi built into the controller and that's how we'll be able to switch devices seamlessly is because it will be able to switch between devices on your Wi-Fi network. So that's really cool. All right, let's, uh, let's try to move through some more of this. We got so much of it. Um, all right, so we talked about the hardware. That's the really exciting stuff. Uh, we got some more game stuff to talk about. Oh, okay. No, we're not done with the hardware stuff. Let's talk about... We'll talk about the game stuff in a minute. We got Fallout and Elder Scrolls news that's really exciting. Um, it, important to note here, no Xbox Game Studio stuff was involved in this leak, so no news about Fable or Halo or South of Midnight or State of Decay 3 or Contraband or anything like that. So you're not going to see Perfect Dark um, release, tentative release dates in here or anything like that. But um, you are going to see you are going to see a lot of stuff about about uh, Bethesda because this is basically all Bethesda and then Xbox hardware related stuff. And the reason why Bethesda is because they were presenting court the court a lot of Bethesda related internal information to try and help make their case again or for why they should be allowed to purchase Activision. So that's why we have so much Bethesda news and hardware news in here, but not really any like Xbox Game Studios news. So unfortunately, we're not going to find out about Gears of War Six in these documents, but. Well, actually, in my opinion, fortunate because that leaves some some surprises left for us to learn about over the coming years as we already know all about the hardware and the video games. Although, honestly, aside from the hardware, I, I mean, I guess there is still some element of surprise for Xbox left 
but um, all right, let's talk about the the last bit of hardware to talk about here, which is uh, super exciting, and it kind of reiterates something that we've been seeing teased and bandied about in the news a little bit here, which is that the next generation of console hardware, not just the mid gen refresh or something, but like the next you know generation ten, the thing that replaces the Xbox Series consoles, like like Xbox One to Xbox Series, basically going from Xbox, it'll, it'll be called Xbox Series One Seven Twenty or something like that, but um. Xbox is is planning to release their next generation console in 2028. So this is VGC's write-up of it. Um, now, those plans may change, but the expected launch window uh, was referenced in a May 2022 meeting. So this is some, some of the more new information that's in these internal documents. This was for meeting notes from CEO Satya Nadella, CFO uh, Amy Hood, Head of, of gaming Phil Spencer and Axios reported some of these uh, some of these internal documents, which excerpts of the transcript of the meeting were released, you know, through this leak, and then Axios kind of stitched together, and now VGC is relaying that. So this is like uh, heard from a friend of a friend. But during the meeting, one Microsoft executive asked a gaming team member whether the next Xbox console might move away from having fixed hardware specifications. And here's where it gets crazy. Quote: One of the things consoles have been really great at is giving very clear platform targets for developers and game development kits have been really good at this said Anuj uh, Gosali corporate Gosalia uh, corporate VP of immersive experiences another question re- uh, read is the plan for 2028 to keep that illegible like model or force a window like f- windows like flexible capabilities like models uh, we have our, and then this is the response. We have already started this journey with Xbox One and Xbox One X, furthering it with the Series S and X. Replies Kevin uh, Gamil, uh, corporate VP of Gaming Ecosystems. We need to be even more flexible going forward with Generation 10, but also provide the ability for creators to take advantage of unique hardware capabilities. So that sounds pretty vague and blue sky, right? So let's try to narrow it down a little bit, right? This is a this is a vision board, like a like a PowerPoint slide they released relating to what they're kind of aspiring for with Generation 10 with the next generation, the 2028 and beyond generation of Xbox. And yes, we don't have any models of what the console looks like or anything because we're not that far along yet. But this is what they put on that slide for the presentation. They say, our vision, develop a next-gen hybrid, hybrid game platform capable of leveraging combined power of the client and cloud to deliver deeper immersion and entirely new classes of gaming experience, optimize for real time gaming gameplay and creator. Uh, sorry, real time gameplay and creators. We will enable new levels of performance beyond the capabilities of client hardware alone. So basically, saying <clears throat> the next generation of Xbox might be actually. Well, let, let's not even say that. Let, let's read this and then we can talk about this. The key stre- strategic decision and investments. So this is them trying to. As of as of uh, fiscal year 2023, what they're targeting for hardware: um, CPU, an ARM 64 versus an, an X64 Zen 6. So they're they're trying to decide between ARM processing, which is like mobile processors, like in your Android phone, versus X64, which is like PC architecture hardware um, CPU. They also said big balance of uh, a balance of big slash little CPU cores. Um, they're, they're deciding between with the graphics code design with AMD or license AMD IP Navi five um, for NPU 
balancing the desire or flexibility of programmable ML silicon versus high-performance silicon for targeted workloads, and then forward compatibility. Um, for graphics, that's for silicon. For graphic innovation, they say next-gen DirectX ray tracing, being standard in the box, dynamic global illumination, micro-polygon rendering optimizations, ML-based super-resolution, extensibility model for faster iterations and innovation, and then uh, for thin OS, they put for OS, thin OS, lacking thin OS for less than $99 consumer or handheld devices. So basically, this is their way of saying, if I'm reading this right, and I'm, I don't think I'm reading it all 100%, this is the best of my ability from trying to read reread this, try to get some understanding, read other people's thoughts on the matter. Basically, they're saying is, this is very vague. This is very like, we're just kind of feeling out the concept because the way video game consoles are made, like these things are R&D and, and, and considered for many years before they release. So the fact that we're like three years into the Xbox Series X generation means that Xbox has been thinking for a while about what they want to do for the next generation of Xbox. And so it's it's tricky, right? Because they're trying to they're trying to do the typical, well, it's got to be bigger and better than the last one, while also trying to feel where is the market headed? This is how you end up with blunders like the Xbox One's original reveal, which I still stand by and uh, defend because I actually like the original vision for the Xbox One, um, despite the fact that it's not cool to like that stuff. But it was a lot of like the Xbox 360 generation was like Microsoft was seeing people are engaging with video game consoles in a way that they never have before. You think about like the OG Xbox or like the PS1 or the N64, or the SNES Video game machines were predominantly these boxes for playing video games and doing nothing really else, except for maybe like playing a CD on your PS1 or something, right? But Xbox 360 was a generation that changed the the manufacturer's understanding of gaming platforms so much because it was the generation with digital marketplaces and where remember Netflix came to Xbox first like streaming Netflix was like an Xbox thing before anything else people were getting Netflix movies by mail and then all of a sudden it was like hey you can stream Netflix on your Xbox and that was huge and people would use their Xboxes to browse the store and buy movies and buy music and do all sorts of things with their Xbox it became a media hub and that that just evolution of how people engage with video game machines throughout the Xbox 360 years of 05 to 2013 served as the inspiration for the Xbox one that made it this like all, you know, Xbox one. It's the one device. That's all your media in one in the center of your living room, the center of your house. That was the inspiration behind the Xbox one. It's got this next generation of connect. It's amazing. It's you can, anyone can interface it with it any way you want. It's, it's your media player. You can watch TV, you can watch sports. You can, you can play, do, do Netflix and Hulu and Spotify. You can do Skype calls in your living room. And yeah, of course you can play video games. It's the new next gen hardware. And I know people make fun of it. And it's, it's funny. There's funny memes and funny videos and Xbox did a terrible job marketing it in some, in some regards. And, and I don't mean to, you know, try to whitewash the history and act like Microsoft didn't fuck up in some ways, but it's like, when you think about that, it's like you understand where they were coming from. You know, I mean, it was, it was, it was amazing for Microsoft during the Xbox 360 years to, to go from, this traditional method of people go to the freaking Walmart or the Best Buy, they buy the $50, $60 game, they go home and they put the fucking disc in their hard drive or their disc drive because that's what that's what everyone wants is old media and they played the game and that's that's it, end of, end of discussion. You know, OG Xbox had, revolu had, had revolutionized gaming but that was more with Xbox Live and online gaming. Xbox 360 
took that all to the next level. They were seeing people go crazy with Xbox Live Arcade downloading games and watching movies and Netflix and, and, and all these kinds of things on their consoles. And so it makes so much sense. Like you can really empathize and understand why they would go the direction they went with the Xbox One. And the reason I use that belabored um, example you know that to kind of set set the conversations to say with with that understanding you can see where they're going with this like vision board for the next generation of Xbox you think about what we talk about today with Xbox we we always see this story pop up in the news especially with Xbox where they're like we can use the cloud to add power to a console you know you don't have like you you have an Xbox one and you want to play Starfield but Starfield isn't on Xbox one that's great just stream the game to your Xbox one okay the cloud's more powerful than your xbox one just stream the game and and they talk about these things where it's like well what if you could get more power on demand through through cloud technology through streaming through the internet and so it's like you could have a moderately powerful machine that does everything kind of like natively and locally but for certain types of features or functions of games um you could have assisted power boosts through cloud technology and streaming and Microsoft Azure is a hell of a powerful tool that Microsoft really, really loves and, and has a lot of use cases for. And so with, with the understanding of where we're headed and Xbox is so big on trying to get people to subscribe to game pass and the future is cloud. We know we're not there today, but we know that's the future at some point in history. That's where we're working towards. And they want you to stream games on your iOS device and they want you to stream games on your PC and they want you to, play Xbox games everywhere you go and not just in your living room on your Xbox hardware with that kind of understanding in place and us, uh, us seeing that that's, that's the stuff Xbox is talking about and working towards in the future. You can see this, this, this vision board for what the 2028 console will be and understand it's like, yeah, they're using the conversations and the way they're seeing people work with Xbox and interface with the machine today and thinking, how can we evolve that and lean into it? So future hardware is a reflection of where we're headed and not just some dart thrown at a wall hoping it sticks. And that's why I think what we're seeing here is like they're talking about handheld devices. They're talking about a streaming stick. They're talking about a tiny box that's basically just a that's basically just a wireless card in a in a box with a that can connect to an Xbox controller. They're talking about a proper gaming device that has powerful um, specifications but can also get assisted power from the cloud. And to achieve all these different graphical innovations and things like that. They're talking about a streamlined OS that's basically just a hub for Xbox. And with good internet connection, you can just access whatever the hell it is you need, whatever kind of power or game or feature you need through cloud cloud technology and streaming. And so they're, they're talking about how the next generation of Xbox, even more so than where we currently stand, is going to be super fluid. Xbox could be everything from a hardware box in your living room to some application on, on some other device that you would never associate with Xbox in the first place. And so that's clearly the direction they're headed in. And it's interesting that they're talking about potentially leaning into mobile architecture. And you think about that, it's like, well, yeah, the nice thing about mobile architecture, you know, like CPUs and stuff is it's very low power consumption. Um, it's very like fast and snappy and quick to wake up. And if you're really leaning on cloud streaming to do a lot of the heavy power lifting, then it's like, yeah, I mean, you could imagine an Xbox where it's like you just you pick up a controller, it's lift to wake, and then your TV and your Xbox just kind of wake up the way like your phone wakes up when you tap on it, and then you just resume where you're playing a game, kind of like you do on Nintendo Switch, but even more seamless, and it's just like, yeah, now this little box that's like got 
a tiny CPU and a little internet wireless card can now all of a sudden connect to the connect to the Xbox cloud and, and give you the power to experience next gen direct X ray tracing on your TV, despite the fact that this box barely has any power on it and they can keep the price nice and low to penetrate a bigger market, penetrate, penetrate a bigger market of, of, of consumers. It's like, yeah, you can understand how this, like this line of thinking, this aspirational um, direction Xbox is trying to head in might be influencing their current idea of what the 2028 box would be. But anything can change. Anything can happen, right? Like this, we could we could get three years down the road and it could like Xbox, like what if in 2026, the story is like Xbox Game Pass is hemorrhaging subscribers. It's losing subscribers by the millions, despite the fact that Game Pass is getting great games on a consistent basis. People just aren't having it. They don't want subscriptions. They're buying games. And, and maybe, maybe it's like, PlayStation put out a PlayStation 5 Pro 2 model that's like not a PS6, but it's a much more powerful PS5. And people are buying it like crazy. It's outselling the regular PS5. People are just all about this super powerful local native device that can just do really high output shit. And then maybe Xbox decides in 2026, like, listen, this vision we have is not working. It's not where things are headed. We need to pivot. And then maybe they go for the more traditional, super beefy next-gen console that just has all the latest specs and goods in it, like every other console has been up until this point. Maybe that's where they go, but this is like, this is kind of how it works. It's like you're 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 R&Ding, you're you're researching and developing all these various ideas and concepts and possibilities for what the next generation of the hardware will be. And none of that really materializes or becomes the definitive direction until much closer, you know, to the product launch. Like I don't, you know, what whatever Xbox Series 10 or whatever ends up being, we won't we won't, like Xbox, like internally, they're not really gonna know that until like probably two years before the thing even comes out two, three years before the thing even comes out. They'll have many ideas, they'll have many avenues that they can just pick one and then continue to fulfill, you know? But they, at this point in time, they don't know 100% which one they're going with. And that's what's so interesting is we see, like, not necessarily what the next console is going to be definitively, but we see where their head is at. And we see kind of, like, what they're expecting and hoping for. It's really interesting stuff. Mobile processing, super powerful, cloud-assisted power and technology, um, you know, like a like a streamlined OS, hundred dollar box or or handheld device to experience that on. Like, it's really cool stuff. So I don't know, man. I just think uh, obviously that's a lot. That's a lot more speculative. It's not like the, it's not like what we're talking about with the uh, the Brooklyn, where it's like, oh, here it is. Here's a picture of it. Here's exactly what it's gonna be. It comes out next year for five hundred bucks. So it's not as tantalizing because we can't visualize it and, and get ready for it the way we can with these mid console refreshes, but. It's exciting just in the fact that it kind of gets your imagination working. It kind of gets you excited about the potential and the possibilities and where we're headed and what we might see. And that stuff's really exciting. Um, so really cool information there. All right, let's circle back now. Stop talking about hardware for a little bit and talk about some video games. Like I said before, we got some Bethesda news here. So let's talk about the Bethesda stuff. Then we'll talk about the Nintendo stuff. And then we'll close out uh, because dude, there's just so much here. Um, all right, so going back to the Bethesda stuff, this is VGC's write-up on the matter. Also included in the leaked court documents is a roadmap of planned Bethesda games for tw- from 2020, including numerous titles that have yet to be confirmed. So very important we keep in mind at the top. This is a Bethesda roadmap as of 2020 when Microsoft was buying Bethesda. This is not current. 
Obviously, a lot of shit happened between then and now, between Microsoft buying Bethesda, between, I don't know, a global pandemic and everything that's going on with the economy right now. So not everything that's in this document is going to happen beat for beat, and clearly we've already missed some of these targets, but it gives you an idea of at least where they were at, and some of these things may come to fruition, so it's definitely something to take note of. While this list, uh, which is sourced from ZeniMax presentation, lists numerous games and DLCs planned uh, up to the end of 2024, um, as well as titles as Starfield, Redfall, Ghostwire Tokyo, Elder Scrolls 6, and upcoming Indiana Jones. The list also includes several games that have yet to be announced. These include a new Doom game called Doom Year Zero, with plans to include DLC in the year of release with and more to follow in the year after that. Um, Dishonored, Dishonored 3 is another title that is listed as not yet to be announced um, as a sequel. And, and so, sorry. Dishonored 3 is another title on the list that has yet to be announced, as is a sequel to Ghostwire Tokyo. Also on that list are a remaster of The Elder Scrolls Online Oblivion and Fallout 3, as well as a title simply called Project Kestrel and Project Platinum. And Indiana Jones, which are billed as a franchise, which will include a trilogy of games. That's a lot to unpack just right there. First of all, just a side note, I think Project Kestrel and Project Platinum are probably expansions to Starfield, if I had to guess. And then Oblivion and Fallout 3 remasters. Those are, I think, the things people are like super jazzed about. And Indiana Jones, they're saying that that will probably be a trilogy of games. So we don't even expect a single Indiana Jones game, but we, we know Machine Games will pretty much just be the Indiana Jones team uh, for the foreseeable future if they're making a trilogy of those games. Uh, it should be noted that this list was likely created before COVID, uh, heavily delayed most of game development. So we we know that these dates aren't accurate anymore. As such, although the forecast goes up to the end of 2024, of the 2024 financial year, it's likely that any planned games yet to be announced will release after this. For example, the list suggests that Starfield will release by the end of June 2021, which is cute. We all know that that was off by about two years. It should also be noted that given const uh, the constantly changing landscape of the video game development, in, um, of video game development, not everything that was planned three years ago will have survived, and some of those projects may have been canceled since the document was created, of course, in 2020. So let me uh, let me pull up this this picture again so we can reference it as we as we talk. Okay, this is unusual. I can't I can't freaking find the list. I thought I had the list here. Uh, anyway, that's fine. We'll just we'll just talk about it here. So so here's the thing: is this this roadmap was created by Bethesda before Xbox purchased them. So I think that's actually a really important thing to keep in mind because obviously there's the there's the obvious talking point of COVID. It delayed things. Things aren't coming out the time they were supposed to, yada, yada, yada. So think about, I think this is something that's a little bit lost now in, in recent history, but think about where Bethesda was leading up to Xbox acquiring them. In a way, Xbox acquiring Bethesda was a, a little bit of a good thing for Bethesda as, as well as Xbox, just in the sense that I feel like people weren't talking about this, but that, that last bit of time before Xbox or before Bethesda... Uh, got uh, sold um, seemed from an outsider looking in perspective, like things were kind of getting a little bit rough for Bethesda because they just kept having these games come out like these massive, super expensive to develop kind of single player games come out, do well critically and just kind of meh on the, on the sales side Talking about Wolfenstein uh, young blood Talking about Dishonored 2, 
talking about actually Wolfenstein games in general. It's like they would they would they would sell okay, and they would review really really well, but for the the cost of development and the in the time in which it took to make these games, they weren't doing that well. Evil Within, Evil Within Two, Dishonored, etc., and then even up to like Deathloop and 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 um, Deathloop and uh, Ghostwire Tokyo. It's like these games come out, they review really well. And then they sell kind of like, meh. So in a way, I think Xbox buying Bethesda was actually like really helpful for, helpful for them because it took this pressure off as an independent team to have to, um, or as like an independent publisher, I should say, um, with all their internal teams that they owned, to not have to perform as, as hard with these games. It's just a weird thing to say. Obviously, Xbox expects Bethesda games to do well. But the metrics are different. If you're Bethesda operating on an independent front as they were, you need for Dishonored 2 to sell pretty well because you need that game to turn a healthy profit in order to keep the team open and operating and making their next game and keeping the money coming in and keeping the lights on and keeping the the, the, the business going. But now that they're part of Team Xbox... The bigger draw is player engagement. They Xbox obviously wants to make money on these games too. That's why they do the, you know, play a week early by pre-ordering the game, 30 bucks, upgrade, whatever, and making DLC and all these kinds of things. Xbox wants to make money on their games too. But the big thing for a game like Dishonored 2 under, under the ownership of Xbox now is that they want your game to be played by a lot of people on Game Pass. Yeah, they want to sell. They want PC players to buy it. They want you to get the deluxe edition upgrade and all these things, but they want you to play it on game pass. And so a game like dishonored two or death loop or ghostwire Tokyo, or even hi-fi rush can be a softer sales, uh, kind of story. Like they typically are while still being a success because the expectation is we get a large player base from game pass and not so much that we sell a boatload of games. And so that's that's actually kind of worked out for for Bethesda, because while you expect a game like Starfield is going to sell like crack and turn a healthy profit no matter what, you don't always expect that for everything. You know, there was no in, in, there was no um, there was no promise that Redfall was going to sell like that or Ghostwire Tokyo or Hi-Fi Rush or Deathloop. There was no promise that those games would turn super healthy profits. The only thing Bethesda really does that is like kind of a guaranteed money hit. Moneymaker is like anything from Bethesda Game Studios, so Elder Scrolls, Fallout, Starfield, um, or like Doom, Doom from Mid Software. And even then, like Doom does well, don't get me wrong, it makes money, but it doesn't like, it doesn't make like so much money. They're not making like disgusting, dirty hand over fist FU money, you know, like Doom does well, but the sales fall off fast and hard after those first few weeks that's why a game like doom drops to like 30 bucks a couple months after it's been out whereas you know a game like animal crossing which came out around the same time right will be 60 dollars until your great 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 grandkids are in their fucking nursing homes right so like that's that's kind of the difference there so again another long seemingly unnecessary tangent to preface that i think a lot of bethesda's internal roadmap probably got thrown out or greatly reworked following becoming part of team Xbox and of course COVID delays and setbacks because you might not necessarily need 
to hope and pray that a new Doom game will save you your next fiscal quarter if now no one gives a shit about your stock price because you're just part of Microsoft. Microsoft's going to have a killer quarter whether or not their game does well or not because people don't give a shit about Xbox. Microsoft investors care about Azure and Windows and Microsoft Office. They don't care about fucking Halo and Twinkle Stars and all these other fucking little nerd games. They care about the money makers, the freaking operating system and the and the the business side of things, right? So it takes a lot of pressure off of Bethesda and it gives them a lot more opportunity to play around and do some other things. So I almost wonder if this Doom Zero, what what is it called? Doom uh Doom Year Zero, like this seeming like Doom prequel type game, if that was like kind of like id we need you to make another doom game because it's a guaranteed money maker and we need some some revenue for the the quarter or if it or if it was like hey doom or id you guys can actually go make whatever the fuck you want to make now because now we're part of team xbox and they just need good games and we have full confidence that all of our teams will make good games we just don't have full confidence that all those good games will reach players because sometimes players would rather play the millionth call of duty game than than give freaking you know um, Deathloop a, a shot, and yeah, that's a that's a dig on myself. But anyway, that's something really important I wanted to note, is just that my guess is that Bethesda as a whole, Zenimax, all the teams, their priorities and their roadmap changed greatly once they became part of Team Xbox because the way in which they measure their success changed greatly once they became a part of Team Xbox. Um, that being said, you, you know, and, and actually just to iterate a little further so people people are really excited about the, the idea of like a, a specifically um fallout 3 remake or oblivion remake that's great i hope those things come to fruition i actually would really love a fallout 3 remake because that would finally be an excuse for me to go back and finally play fallout 3 from start to finish and not just play the first few opening hours and give up like i always do um but those sound like projects you do because you know it's a guaranteed money maker and you need something relatively easy and affordable to flip and, and put out there to make some money. And you don't necessarily need to do that. Again, if you're now part of Team Xbox, you have the breathing room to now just kind of, you know, make make whatever new game you want to make. Take risks. Do something creative and new and interesting. So I wonder if some of these projects got pulled off the list. And and also keep in mind some of these some of these games were um like like a sequel to Ghostwire Tokyo. That was on the that was in this report before Ghostwire Tokyo even came out. Ghostwire Tokyo did not sell well. I can't imagine that game is getting a sequel. Maybe it does, I don't know, but I'll be I'll be shocked if that game is getting a sequel. Um so you know, there's that as well. So I don't know. I, I just I would assume that of all the things that are subject to change, this list is is very much not concrete. That being said, I think I think Bethesda aren't dumb. I think they know people really want a Fallout 3 remake. They really want remakes of Oblivion and things like that. So I, I, I do think those things are coming. It's just I'm really curious to see when we're gonna start to see information on that. If you could get an Oblivion remake out in the next like year or two. That would be a really great holdover for fans in between Starfield and Fall Elder Scrolls Six. I think that would just oh, that would just kill. I think that'd be so good for them. Um, but yeah, also I mean, like, what does this mean for it? Everyone thought they were making like a like a complete reimagination of like um, of Quake, and now 
and now the and now, and now it's like, or, well, are they making this Doom Year Zero, or was that like a thing they were making that they aren't making anymore? And you know, is is Ghostwire Tokyo two really happening? And then Indiana Jones is gonna be a trilogy now. Like, what the hell is that all about? It's like, but maybe that's not too surprising. As long as the first one does well, you assume it is gonna be a trilogy because why would you not milk that IP that you now have access to to the full of of its potential? I mean. You know, Avalanche Software is definitely making another Harry Potter game. I can tell you that much. That's how that's how it works when you have a successful license IP, license IP. So, I mean, Dishonored 3, Dishonored 2 and 1, especially 2, really didn't sell well at all. Critical darlings, they just didn't sell well. So, like, I don't know, maybe you can justify Dishonored 3 if it's a Game Pass game. But if you're just trying to make money, it's like, I don't know, man. Like, what's, I don't know, where's that, where's that, where's that fall in line? Where does that make sense? So, I don't know. So we talked about the hardware. We talked about the Bethesda stuff. Uh, we talked about the new controller. Uh, all right, let's let's get into the weird one. Now, I think a lot of people want to kind of look into this a little further than they maybe need to. But this is the Phil Spencer email regarding Nintendo. So I actually have less to say on this than I think people might want to hear. But let's just get into it. So from VGC, in the unredacted court documents published over the week, Seemingly an error, uh, uh, Phil Spencer discussed a potential Nintendo acquisition in an email conversation with Microsoft Executive VP and Chief Commercial Officer Takeshi Numoto. So while discussing a potential TikTok acquisition, remember this was a few years ago when Microsoft was going to buy TikTok and then that ended up not happening, uh, Numoto asked why Microsoft wasn't pursuing a company like Nintendo instead. Phil Spencer replied that this is exactly what he wanted. He says, Takeshi, I totally agree that Nintendo is the prime asset for us in, in gaming. And today, uh, gaming is our is most likely our path to consumer relevance, uh, Phil Spencer replied. I have numerous conversations with Nintendo about tighter collaboration, and I feel like if any U.S. company would have a chance with Nintendo, we are probably in the best position. Uh, the unfortunate and fortunate for Nintendo situation is that Nintendo is sitting on a big pile of cash. They have a board of directors that until recently has not pushed um, for further increase in market growth or stock appreciation. Shout out to the Japanese culture because that's how that, that that's man. Imagine if American businesses were like that. Uh, Phil Spencer went on to say that former Microsoft board member Mason more uh, president of value act uh, had been heavily acquiring shares of Nintendo and that this could create opportunities for Microsoft. The exec also suggested that he believed Nintendo's future exists off their own hardware, but claimed that it was it was taking a long time for that company to see that. He says, without quote, without the catalyst, I don't see an angle to the near-term mutually agreeable merger of Nintendo and Microsoft. I don't think a hostile action would be a good move, so we're playing the long game. But our board of directors has seen a full write-up of Nintendo and Valve. And they are fully supportive of either if the opportunity arises, as am I. Phil Spencer concluded with the following. He says, at some point, getting Nintendo would be a career moment. And honestly, I believe a good move for both companies. It's just taking a long time for Nintendo to see that their future exists off their hardware. A long time. And quote, the discussion took place around a year and a half before Microsoft announced that they were acquiring Activision Blizzard. Temple Knight writes in and says, Hey, Jesse, what do you think about a discless Xbox Series X refresh? We already talked about that, obviously. Also, it sounds like Papa Phil wants to buy Nintendo and is willing to play the long game to get it. Mario, Crash Bandicoot, and Master Chief at the Olympic Games? What a world we live in. Uh, thank you for writing in. I think this is... um Okay. Here's the thing is, 
this isn't Phil Spencer bringing up like, hey guys, I, I want to go buy Nintendo. What do you guys think? This is Phil Spencer being asked by someone higher up and broader in Microsoft saying, why not go after a company like Nintendo? So this is clearly less of a game savvy guy asking the game guy within the company. Why haven't you set your targets on Nintendo? We're looking to expand. We're looking to get more relevant in the space. We're looking to become a bigger player. Why not just go after Nintendo? So I'm going to assume that's coming. That question came from the perspective of like, you don't, you don't really fully understand Nintendo. If you think that Microsoft can just go in or, or should just go in there and try to buy them up. Um, in fact, Microsoft did that once they got laughed out of the room as is famously told, but I don't think Phil Spencer by any stretch of the imagination is actively trying to court Nintendo to purchase them. I do think he thinks Nintendo and Xbox together is a very good position for the Xbox brands. And we've seen Xbox try to get cozier and cozier with Nintendo. Um, you know, seeing like the Ori and the Will of the Wisps and stuff like that come to Switch and seeing Nintendo and Xbox play together. With, remember about five years ago, when it was like, let cross-play happen, and Sony was being a prude about it, and Xbox kept pushing for it, and um, they, they partnered with Nintendo and made PlayStation look like bitches at the time. And it's like these kinds of things where Xbox has definitely made a big effort to be friendly with and play nice with Nintendo. And I, I actually agree. I think that's a really good strategy. I think a Nintendo that is friendly with Xbox is, is, is good on both fronts. But I, I don't think Phil Spencer suspects that in doing this, Nintendo's going to let their guard down. They're like, okay, Microsoft, you can buy us. I don't think that's going to be how that how that ever works. And I don't think Phil Spencer is actively looking to purchase Nintendo. I think, I mean, we know they're not because remember, we, we got those internal documents at least during the court um, hearings over the summer where Xbox had like the never ending list of companies that they could see themselves acquiring or were in some reason interested in acquiring. And they listed every freaking major publisher, AAA developer and indie developer under the freaking sun in that report. But you know who wasn't in that report was Nintendo because they don't realistically think they're going to go acquire Nintendo. I think it's way more likely you see Xbox go after Sega than Nintendo. And it's more realistic that they ever get Sega than Nintendo. So I think that's just an important thing to note, but this is more just Phil Spencer kind of like fantasizing and and, and playing, playing out the idealism because he was asked about the situation, but kind of laying out why it wasn't really plausible or realistic. I truly don't think Nintendo is, is for sale, first of all. Unless there's a hostile takeover, Nintendo is staying exactly as is. Um, but I really don't think Microsoft is very interested in pursuing i think microsoft is interested in buying nintendo if nintendo is more openly for sale but i don't think microsoft is going after them currently and i don't think they would try to aggressively go after them because it's not the way to do it you don't want that nintendo that's how you get a nintendo that resents you you lose talent you hemorrhage talent and then all of a sudden you're not really getting the nintendo you want in the first place so i don't i don't think for a second just to clarify that it's like wow guys Keep your eyes glued to this story because it looks like Microsoft might try to buy Nintendo next. I don't think that's happening. Also, I don't think that's getting through regulatory boards at all. I mean, it, although, to, to be completely fair, I think Sony just spent like like half the freaking summer trying to say that Nintendo is not really a competitor to Xbox and PlayStation. So they did make the conversation a little easier for Xbox to swoop in and buy Nintendo, I guess, if they're trying to think purely in terms of passing regulator um, scrutiny. So there's that. But anyway... 
I, I just don't think there's much to this. I really, I really don't think there's, it's worth a lot to invest a lot of mental energy and stock into this potential reality of Xbox or Microsoft buying Nintendo. Um, I think it's obviously something they would like to do. I think Nintendo is just way too much the epitome of that Japanese corporation where it's like you build, you start from nothing. It's like J- Japanese culture when it comes to business in this regard, because I don't mean to like fetishize Japanese culture when it's very, very flawed for many other reasons. But in this regard, this is one aspect where like Japanese culture is really uh, admirable, which is like the way a lot of these Japanese companies work is it's like you start from nothing, humble beginnings. You build, uh, you build an empire out of nothing, kind of like the American dream, kind of like the way all the best American industries are built. But the difference is what makes Japanese companies so great is they usually stop there. It's like, cool, we built a really awesome company. Maybe you expanded different markets, different categories and products and things like that and whatever. I mean, Jap- Japan has all sorts of weird companies where it's like, oh, we make gambling machines and we make bottled water and we make fitness clubs and we make freaking... Uh, prepackaged ramen noodles at the grocery store, whatever. They have all kinds of weird stuff. But the idea is that Japanese companies usually stay pretty independent, and that's that's kind of the goal. And Nintendo, I, I, I really respect the hell out of Nintendo because their, their attitude is like, yeah, we do make hand over fist money, and what we do is we sit here and we continue to make more Zelda games and more Mario games as people sit on the sidelines and criticize us for just making more more Mario games and more Zelda games. And they, they make fun of us because our consoles aren't as powerful and they make fun of us because we're quote unquote behind the times. And you know what we do? We ignore everyone on the outside. We get, we put our heads down. We get to work. We make really, really good games. We sell an unrealistic number of copies of those video games and we sell an unrealistic insane number of hardware units of whatever our latest console is and then we make shit tons of money we sit on that money and we make more great video games and that's nintendo's mo and i I actually love and respect the hell if if american corporations could operate the way nintendo would maybe i wouldn't freaking be so disenfranchised with capitalism if it would if it could be enough for like a like a big bank or an investment firm or something in, in in america to be like yeah we made a shit ton of money Let's just enjoy the shit ton of money we made and be happy because that's enough. You know, that's not the way it works. Microsoft is being a little too indicative of an American corporation where they're like, we're just like the biggest fucking company in the entire world. So we'd like to get a little bit bigger and buy Nintendo and also buy Activision and also buy EA and also buy Square Enix and also buy Sega and also buy Zenga. You know, it's like that's it's just never enough for like the American corporation. You always got to get bigger. You always got to absorb another competitor, absorb another competitor, get even bigger. You know, it's like it's just. Mm. So I, I think those these two companies are so fundamentally at odds. I don't think PlayStation would ever try to buy Nintendo, and I don't think Nintendo would ever want to be bought by PlayStation. My understanding is that Nintendo is still salty towards PlayStation from all those years ago when um, when Nintendo betrayed Sony and didn't do the PlayStation Nintendo console, and then Sony went on to make a far more successful gaming brand with, with PlayStation. Um, and so, but but hypothetically, what I'm saying is, on paper, it makes way more sense for Sony and Nintendo to get in bed together than it does for Xbox and Nintendo to get in bed together. Because at the end of the day, a lot of these Japanese companies they don't they don't want that American sensibility coming in and taking over. They don't want to they don't want the whole 
now we're bigger because it's good to be bigger and now the stock price is bigger and the, and the investors were happy because the stock price is bigger and don't worry uh the water is safe to drink in 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 flint michigan and the roads are safe to drive on and uh and wealth inequality is solved and child hunger has ended because the stock price is healthy it's all good america's a great country because the stock price and because we're we're bigger our market cap is bigger we we absorbed another industry we absorbed another competitor and it's like that shit that shit sucks, man. Like, I don't know, man. I, I'm I'm okay with the Activision thing. Like, I've made my peace with it, whatever. But it's like, it, it just goes right back into the consolidation of the industry shit. It's like, one of the things I respect about specifically Nintendo, but in general, and obviously this doesn't apply to every corporation, but a lot of Japanese corporations, a lot of Japanese business sensibility is it's like, you fucking do what you do. You do it to the best of your ability. You grow big. You make a lot of money. And you feel content in the success you've made. And you don't have this never-ending greed that's like more, 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 more. And I don't know. The idea of an Xbox, honestly, the day the day Microsoft buys Nintendo is the day I'm just like, that's too slimy for me. I think I'll just I think I'll just go fucking play PC gaming or something. Like I I'm that's I, I, I will I will never even remotely for a second champion. That that is that is gross. I cannot think of a match made even remotely worse than Nintendo and Xbox. It makes, you know, it makes way more sense than Nintendo and Xbox merging Nintendo and PlayStation merging. Literally anything else makes more sense than Nintendo and Xbox merging. It's like, I don't know. Like, did you hear that fucking, I almost made a joke. I almost said, did you hear about like the candy company that's making dog food? And then I remember Nestle exists. So there's that America for you. Yeah. We make fucking dog food, frozen lasagna and chocolate. Fuck you. But anyway, so, yeah, I don't know. That's that's really all I have to say about the Nintendo thing. I don't think there's much to think about it. I don't think it's happening. I think someone asked a question. Phil Spencer got a little uh, a little idealistic and a little rosy about like in an ideal world what would be so cool. Yeah, I mean, yeah, if you're if you're the executive that's responsible for Microsoft acquiring Nintendo, yeah, that is a career defining move, but also I think you then if, if Phil Spencer, who I believe to be probably one of the more well-intended, genuine executives as far as executives go, some of the most untrustworthy potentially unlikable people and any anywhere on the business ladder right um i, I tend to find phil spencer to be pretty likable pretty pretty genuine like he seems that way at least i, I want to give him the benefit of the doubt i want to like him but i mean if i don't know if, if he's the reason why xbox buys nintendo i, I think he's single-handedly killing everything that makes xbox special by doing that like i don't that's that's uh that's that's more than a step too far but I'll leave it at that. I don't really want to get into that one because I also just don't think it's literally ever going to happen. I feel pretty comfortable and safe saying I just don't think that's ever going to happen. We have a better chance of North Korea dropping a nuke on, on South Korea and then us having to jump in and, and World War III commences than, um, than, than Xbox buying Nintendo, I think. I, I, I just don't see that ever happening unless, unless someone does a hostile takeover, which is so fucking cool. Saudi Arabia will do it first, though, so don't worry about that. All right, let's start to wind down um, on the reveal news. There's still a lot more here, um, but just two more kind of big ones, honestly, or a couple of small ones, and then and then like one big one. Um, Phil Spencer's honest opinions of the PlayStation Five reveal. I don't really have anything to say on this other than I just thought this was funny. This is um, after the PS Five was revealed in 2020. 
Phil Spencer was in an email chain to Satya Nadella that, and, uh, and Amy Hood that leaked where he was kind of saying how like he feels really good about Microsoft's product, referring to the Xbox Series X, saying that they have a better product than Sony. Um, they, they have better hardware and a more in an equally important uh, software platform and that they feel really good heading into the new console generation. Obviously, that's not really how it worked. They thought that the Series X was much more powerful than the PS5. I think in actuality, they're kind of more on... on Pair on par with each other. I think Xbox Series X is a little more powerful than PS5, but PS5 has that cool SSD tech, which gives it its own kind of unique advantage. So I think the consoles ended up kind of being a wash in terms of really which one matters more in terms of its potential and power. Um, but yeah, I mean, and then also, you know, it doesn't fucking matter at the end of the day because at the end of the day, I think Sony's done a pretty okay to average job with first party output on PS5 so far. I'm not particularly impressed with what they've done. But Xbox has done a pretty, like, meh job with first-party output so far. Although I think they're about to be in a really good position, and we're starting to see that happen. So at the end of the day, it's all about the games. It's just a fun anecdote of seeing Phil Spencer a few years ago kind of being like, oh, man, I was so, so nervous, you know, leading up to this. But now that I know what PlayStation has up their sleeves, I'm not really nervous anymore. Fast forward to 2022, and you see how bad it was for Xbox. It's like, eh, you should still be nervous, Phil. Um, All right. Uh, yeah, there was a email chain from May of 2022 where Xbox was aware that they were going to have a dog shit 2022 um, because Starfield and Redfall were delayed. Stalker 2 was in an indefinite delay due to the war in, in Ukraine and all that. And so there's an email chain with Phil Spencer, Matt Booty, and Sarah Bond basically saying, like, are there any games we can snag up, any exclusivity deals or Game Pass deals we can use to kind of help make this less of a, a dog shit year for Xbox? Um, and then, yeah, they comment on Boulder's Gate 3 and describe it as a second-run Stadia PC RPG, um, which is actually referring to the fact that it's going to Xbox later, but a lot of people took that the wrong way and got mad about it. Uh, there's the Red Dead Redemption 2 um, information here that suggests that the game might get a next-gen update. I would not be surprised if Red Dead Redemption 2 gets a Series X PS5 kind of up, upgrade or, or re-release but they were expecting that for last year and it still hasn't happened. So I don't know, you know, that might, that may have been dated information, but the fact that they're re-releasing Red Dead Redemption one right now on PS4 and switch might suggest that Red Dead Redemption two is up next. So I think jury's still out on that one. And then last thing I just want to put here is that a lot of people thought this was the FTC that leaked these documents at first. Um, and then later in the day, Microsoft had to come out and admit they're like, Hey, no, this wasn't the FTC. It was Microsoft. We, we leaked our own shit by accident. So they said the FTC was not responsible for uploading Microsoft's plans. Or this is what the FTC um, said. Douglas uh, Farah, Director of o Office and Public Affairs at FTC, said FTC was not responsible for uploading Microsoft's plans for games and consoles to the court websites. In fact, Microsoft head of gaming, Phil Spencer, acknowledged that they were the reason. Addressing the coverage of the uh, confidential materials, Phil Spencer claimed so much has changed since the emails and documents in question were written or created. We've seen we've seen the conversation around old emails and documents, he tweeted. It's hard to see our team's work shared this way because so much has changed and there's so much to be excited about right now and in the future. We will share real plans when we are ready. Obviously, it's a little damage control and PR talk, but also there's a little bit of truth to that, obviously. Like, you can look at so many of these reveal things and, and, and see that a lot of these dates came and went. And clearly Bethesda's release um, calendar isn't what we saw in 2020. And this Red Dead Redemption thing didn't hit when it was supposed to. And so obviously 
things have changed. And I'm, I'm assuming even stuff with hardware has changed to some extent. But there are some things that are pretty much guaranteed. And, and I think the new controller, the mid-gen refresh, the tentative plan for next-generation hardware to hit in 2028, I think those things are pretty much locked and loaded. So we got some pretty good leaks out of this. Unfortunately, yeah, they, they're not able to control their messaging the way they want. And it kind of buzz kills some of the future of Xbox for us a little bit because it means we'll be less excited when these news when these news items actually come to fruition because we'll be like, yeah, already saw that. Yeah, already knew about that. So that's unfortunate. But that is the reality of how these um, leaks came to be. So it's just worth noting. But that's really all I have for now to talk about. I suspect we'll get more information, more clarity on some of these stories as time goes on. And we'll talk about this more. This isn't a one and done conversation by any stretch of the imagination because it's just so much stuff that that has leaked this week um yeah i guess the last thing i would say is like i mean that's just this is devastating you know the it's 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 a good thing that this happened to xbox because this can't happen to anyone else you know you think about sony sony is a, a multimedia company they got movies they got music they got other electronics but the pride and joy of sony like their big money maker is playstation if something like this happened to playstation that would be that would be like earth shattering <laughs> their entire plans for the next you know seven years or whatever leaked that's earth shattering if this were nintendo it's really really bad but thankfully you know xbox is such a blip on the map relative to the rest of what microsoft is that this doesn't hurt them at, on you know as a whole as badly but obviously this is unfortunate for team xbox this is unfortunate for fans that's like now this news is out here is just less to learn and get hyped about because now it's just all out here for everyone to see but this is undoubtedly the biggest leak i can think of to ever happen in gaming certainly in xbox history it's just crazy that just random ass monday middle of the night floodgates open and here we are and so i mean again i assume we'll be talking about this stuff for a long time to come we'll be referencing this leak material as as we get reveals announcements release dates etc for a long time to come to see, you know, measure up how accurate some of this information still was after all this time. As we start to see these new controllers and this new hardware and some of these games start to become announced and have release dates set and we get to see the specs and the, and the options and the, the bells and whistles and see what made it to the final product and what didn't and what got left on the cutting room floor and all that because, I mean, everyone's going to measure the next handful of years of Xbox to what was in these leaks to see if we're getting what we were promised in these leaks, you know, what we were promised in quotes, if we're getting what, what was initially talked about, if we're getting something better than that, if we're getting something worse than that, if certain things that we were looking forward to end up not even making the list and they never see the light of day, like maybe we never get this oblivion remake. We don't know. I mean, we should have seen it by now, according to those documents, but where is it? So this is going to really dictate the way people think about and talk about Xbox for a long time to come. And that's, a little bit unfortunate, but here we are. This is the this is where we go next, and then next week we'll hear a lot more about this Activision deal once the um, once the CMA has a, has an update for us. All right, guys, let's run out the news this week with Xbox Game Pass uh, changes. So we already talked about some of this a little bit. Available now, Liza P, Party Animals, Payday Three. It's all here now. We got some new games coming to Game Pass later in the month, though, on September 29th. Uh, Cocoon comes to console and PC. It's a day one Game Pass game. On October 3rd, uh, the Lamplighters League is a day one Game Pass game. And also, Gotham Knights comes to Game Pass on that day, cloud uh, console and PC. 
Um, damn, I, I bought that game earlier in the year. I actually like Gotham Knights. I, people really shit on that game, but I, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was quite fun. So I would recommend that game. But yeah, pretty decent games coming to Game Pass. I think September into early October is a pretty strong time for Game Pass. Um, some really good stuff to keep you busy. And then leaving on September 30th, the following games will be off of Game Pass. So be sure to download them, buy them, play them while you still can. Beacon Pines. Despots Game. Despots? Whatever. Last Call BBS. Moon Moon Scars. Moon Cars. Moon Cars. Moon Scars. Outriders. That's a big one. Proteus. Weird West. So all those games will leave Game Pass on September 30th. And that is it for all of our news, you guys. Let's start to round out the podcast with the important enough news stories. Stories important enough to make the podcast, but not important enough to warrant their own discussions. We've got a quick handful here. Starting with Criterion Games, the guys who made the Burnout series. They have uh, moved divisions within EA and are now working on the Battlefield franchise. They've already lent support work to the franchise in recent history, but EA restructured the studio so that they are now no longer part of the EA Sports division, but now part of the EA Entertainment division. So also, they'll continue to work on Need for Speed games, and according uh, to Respawn co-founder Vince Sampella, who now leads EA Studios, uh, but they will also continue to work on uh, Battlefield. EA announced in February 2020 that it it needed, or sorry, that it handed Need for Speed to development uh, over to a restructured Ghost Games rather than Criterion, um, which made the last four entries in the racing series, including Carbon, the one that just came out last year that no one talked about. Uh, next up, Activision revealed Call of Duty Modern Warfare 3's zombie mode, which looks really cool. Created by Black Ops Studio Treyarch, the leading develop- leading development on the zombies mode. Um, this is the first time the Modern Warfare subseries has ever seen zombies. A cinematic reveal trailer is, op- is uh, available now for this open world zombies experience, which looks pretty badass if you ask me. Next up, Konami is releasing a reimagining of the first game in the Contra series developed by WayForward Technologies. Contra Operation Gulag, uh, uh, sorry, Galuga, is based on the original Contra, known in Europe as Probotector and Grizor. I did not know that. Why would... No, just call it Contra. Stop being weird. Stop being so European all the time. Uh, the game was released back in arcades in 1987 and on NES in 1988. According to Konami, the new version will bring back iconic weapons and environments, but also bring new stages, new enemies, new bosses, new play mechanics, and an updated power system and modern graphics. The new version will also include three difficulty settings to make the game easier for newcomers, as well as an additional challenge option for those looking for a test. The game will feature story mode with up to two-player support and arcade mode with up to four players. Contra Operation Galuga will be released on Xbox Series, Xbox One, and PC digitally, and a physical version will be released later in the year, although there's no specific date here. I'm actually looking forward to this. I love Contra, and so this should be good fun, and I suck at Contra, so it'll be nice to have an easier difficulty. Next up, Ubisoft plans to close Ubisoft London Studios. The studio, which was originally known as Future Games of London, was founded in 2009 and acquired by Ubisoft in 2013. Renamed Ubisoft London earlier this year, uh, the team has mainly focused on mobile games best known for the Hungry Shark series, which has achieved over a billion downloads in total to date. I didn't even know this game existed, and it's got a billion downloads. That's why Xbox wants mobile money. However, in recent years, the series has been partly (laughs) developed by Ubisoft Barcelona Mobile. The Ubisoft has now decided to fully shift development over the series to Catalan Studio. This will result in the closure of Ubisoft London, which has affected 54 staff members. So, of course, thoughts out to those people who are unfortunately affected. 
Next up, the first three Tomb Raider games are, and this is the last one, the first three Tomb Raider games are being remastered and released for current hardware. Announced during Nintendo Direct last week, the remastered trilogy will be released on series consoles, Xbox One, and PC on February 14th next year. Quote, the faithful remastered trilogy comes with all the expansions and secret levels for each game, according to Nintendo. You can also toggle between the original polygon look or the upgraded visual anytime, just like you can the Halo Master Chief Collection. Uh, the title is available for pre-order today and will cost $27 if you pre-order it, but at retail will cost $30 when, it, when it's fully available. So save yourself $3 bucks and pre-order today, a dollar for each game. That is going to do it for all of our news this week, you guys. I'm so out of breath. We're almost three hours in and we're just now making it to the comments, but I'm excited to be here because we are at the, the best best section of the podcast, the comments, the write-ins, the shout-outs. You know how it works over on YouTube.com. Go to YouTube.com slash Xbox on podcast or at Xbox on podcast at YouTube.com, whatever. Click on the latest episode and drop a comment. You can say anything you want to say. You can be really neat, nice. You can be really mean. And thankfully, we got a little bit of the spectrum. I wouldn't say really mean, but we got we got a little bit of fun, taunting, and hazing. So looking forward to that. We got nine entries to get into this week. You guys, thank you all so much for writing in. I'm really excited to get into these. And I want to start out with the subject matter that I've been calling out to the audience to address for a long time. And finally, the my prayers have been answered. Thank you, Brits. We got one, two, three, four British people have written in on the show. Last week, I said to you guys, I'm sorry I make fun of you so much. I'm so mean. It's just to be cute and funny, but it's 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 taking the piss out of the Brits. It's not it's not always nice. You guys didn't do anything to deserve it. And you guys make up over 26% of the of the audience that listens to the show. So I'm in a great uh, I'm forever indebted to you guys because I appreciate the support. I appreciate you guys listening and hopefully enjoying the show to some extent. And uh, so I, I asked. I said, "Write in, make fun of me back." I make fun of you guys all the time. Let's uh, let's let's make it fair. Let's make it even. Throw a little shade my way. Uh, unfortunately, our first comment here is just it's just so funny because it's a write in from first time write in HDWO. Thank you for writing him. And the comment reads simply, "Woo England!" But the funny thing is, YouTube says right under your comment where you wrote "Woo England," there's an option to translate your comment to English. So you're not, you're not much of an Englishman. If, if your comment (laughs) needs to then be translated to English in order to be read. So, although you did get a couple thumbs up, so clearly the Brits are out in, in full force supporting you and your comments. So shout out to you, HDWO. Hope you're having a wonderful day. God bless. Enjoy your Xbox leaks. Next up, Dan 14 writes in. I love this one. Brit here. So I'll bite. Keep the accents coming. Us Brits low-key know we have it better than you, so we can take it, mate. Heart emoji. I love this one so much. I also, I'm going to assume that all the British listeners were thumbing up the British comments because these are the comments that got the most thumbs up, which I, I love. I love the I love the solidarity and the support. So um, that, that's a funny retort. That's a funny, that's a funny bite back. I like that. Now, how you have it better than me? How, how the Brits have it better than the Americans? I don't know, man. I, I can't speak to it because I, I've never been to England. I've never I've never been to the UK. I've never been to Europe. Um, I'm not I'm not from there. I don't have that experience. So clearly I can't speak to it. I can only see what I you know what I see in the news, what I hear from other people. I, I will say I, I live in Orlando, Florida, where we have quite a large British population. So I do come across, interface with, interact with many a British person on a day-to-day basis. I will say one thing about the British people I interact with, generally pretty nice people. Some of the nicer people I've ever met. Also, all the British people that come to Orlando, Florida, 
filthy fucking rich. If you if you are British and rich at the same time, you're coming to Orlando, Florida. It's just a fact of life. You're coming here, you're dropping mad cash. It's awesome. Good for you. I hope you earned it. But I don't know. I don't know that you guys have it better than us because while there are a lot of countries out there that I'm like, the U.S. could really learn a thing or two from this country or this country, I don't know that the U.K. is one of them. I feel like a lot of our faults are kind of things we got from you guys, and then we kind of did what you did bad, but even worse in some ways. In some ways we're better, but in some ways we're way worse. You guys still have an, you guys still have a monarchy, which is kind of cringy, but also like I don't know, your politicians aren't as cringy as ours, but your politicians aren't not cringy. But also I don't know, how's your infrastructure over there? I think you guys have better infrastructure. You definitely have better public transportation than we do. So I, I don't know. It's kind of hard. I, I can't measure it. Maybe you can. I don't know. Dan, 14, maybe, you, maybe you've lived in America. Maybe you've visited extensively. Maybe you're just more educated than I am. It's all highly possible. Any combination of those things is true, but I don't know about that. You know we have it better, so you can, ta- so you can take it. Dan, thank you for writing in. I hope you're having a wonderful day. I see your profile picture is you drinking a beverage. I hope that beverage is something cold and refreshing. I hope... I hope if it was a hot day when that photo was taken, you felt refreshed after you took that beverage to your mouth and, and, and enjoyed a sip. So shout out to you. And then I think possibly my favorite write in we got of all the British comments is this one. Uh, Rick Gaffney, 6771. I don't know why I'm reading the fucking numbers. It doesn't matter. Rick Gaffney wrote in and says, right, Jesse. Okay. <clears throat> it's so British. Dude. Right, Jesse. Just listen to the podcast and you seemed a little bit miffed. So British. As to why us Brits don't stick up for ourselves. Well, the thing is, we don't get all upset over a silly little American that's in love with Taco Bell. Not worth it, fella. Just thought I'd let you know why you don't hear a lot from us. This one... I got nothing to say to that. Dan, when you wrote in, I'm like, I don't know, man. Are you right? Is that true? I don't know. But Rick writes in and he just kind of flames me. And you know what? I got, I got, I got no response to that because it's actually, it's pretty fucking accurate. So (laughs) thank you for the laugh, Rick. I appreciate you writing in. Hope you, uh, I hope you don't just listen to the podcast as spite that you actually enjoy it, but, um, hopefully a funny laugh for everyone listening as well. Uh, but Good, good comment. I appreciate, I appreciate the flaming. It's fun. And, uh, that will lead us to our final British comment of the week from another, other than Sam Frito, the man, the myth, the legend writes in almost every week. Love this guy. He writes the best written comments we get from Mr. Sam Frito. And now I'm learning of his Britishness and it explains why everything's written so well. He opens up his comment with possibly the best sentence I could hear. Been playing Halo 5 for the first time. Full stop. All right, take it in. Continue. I've been missing out. All right, stop again. You're playing Halo 5 for the first time, and you've been missing out. So you're acknowledging that Halo 5 is good. Sam, I'm not here to bash on you for not playing Halo 5 up until now. Took you eight years, almost eight years. October 25th or 27th? Halo 5 came out on October 25th. 2015 or October 27th. I don't remember. One of those two. We're about a month away from it being eight years. God fucking damn it. How has it been eight years since Halo 5? I'm old. My hair is gray. But anyway, I just got to say, hearing someone say, I'm playing Halo 5 for the first time and I was missing out. It's a good game. Jealous. Jealousy is the only word I can use to describe my feelings right now. I wish, I wish I could erase my under, I wish I could fucking men in black blink Halo 5 out of my memory so I could re-experience it for the first time 
that honestly, the more I think about how effed up Halo Infinite is and how much it just kind of if Halo Infinite was an absolute bonafide hit and everything about it was great and it continued on the Halo franchise as being a great series, I could forgive it. But the fact that Halo Infinite fucks up just as hard as Halo 5 fucks up makes me extra mad about Halo Infinite because I love Halo 5 so much. And the world shit on this game and 343 kowtowed and responded to that that hate of this game and butchered the Halo franchise as a result of trying to get away from this game and just arbitrarily changing the art style, shifting away from the narrative mid-story and just kind of doing a whole different thing with Halo Infinite only to still fuck up the Halo franchise. And it's like, are you happy now? We don't get our direct follow-up to Halo 5. There's never going to be a proper explanation for why the fuck we go from Halo 4 seamlessly into Halo 5 and then we just forget everything, randomly continue the story, but everything looks and feels different now for no reason. No explanation as to what happened. New story. And then we drop the ball again. Halo 5 is so good. I'm going to say something people don't want to hear, but it's okay. You need to hear it. Just like you need to hear that your disk drive is stupid and it's time to go digital, you also need to hear this. Halo 5's campaign rocks. The level design masterclass and you know what else is awesome about halo 5 unlike halo infinite at least in halo 5 you see multiple environments you see multiple terrains you're not constantly on the same fucking level you're not on a fucking halo ring with a couple of forerunner installations that all look the same rinse repeat same thing on again and again and again at least halo 5 was a breath of fresh air master class and level design excellent gunplay great level variety Really cool concept for a story. I agree. They didn't nail every single second of the game. Could have been more fleshed out here or there. The lock fight could have been better. The idea of the war with the created, Cortana turning bad, all that. So fucking badass. All right, let's finish on with your, with your comment because I put this comment in the British people section and we're talking about Halo 5, but fuck you all for not loving Halo 5. There, I said it. I hope you all go to hell. I hope I hope you taste Mountain Dew voodoo and you say, ooh, that tastes good even though the new flavor isn't that good. I hope, I hope you think it tastes good because then that means you have bad taste. And then I'll be vindicated. You said, speaking of fable, to me, <laughs> oven mitts, bulky boots, and big eyes aren't going to set the world on fire unless you get fast a fast food tie-in at launch. Fable Locos Chicken Tacos with codes on the box for Taco Bell-themed oven mitts and vests. Brits, you rock. They won't put Disney Park in the UK. I don't know why, but that means I have never visited a merry old place but Alton Towers. So I don't actually know if Sam's British. I'm still just assuming he is. It's not really pertinent that I know that information, but I'm going to keep on pushing it anyway because I'm mentally disabled in, in, in this regard that I just, I can't, I'm so fixated on things that don't matter. But I do, I do want to just say, God, if they can do a Fable fast food tie-in first of all i think it would have to be with chick-fil-a or popeyes or or kfc and not taco bell so i can be like are you just gonna stand there like a chick oh wait, wait, wait. oh he said she says lemon they say lemon in the game right I, oh they call oh they can call it the chicken chaser combo there we go need to think about it for a second but i got it now chicken chaser combo it's uh it's a fucking bucket of chicken but instead of putting it in a bucket they serve it in a mitten or if you get a small to mitten or if you get a large it's a boot that's how they, that's how you do it 
That's how you fucking do it. And it comes with like a, a code for like a, it comes with a digital download code. If you order the combo, the code is on your receipt and you can redeem it on your Xbox to get a KFC shirt in game or something like that. Boom. There you go. Done. Xbox marketing. Hire me. Give me money. Give me a really big salary. Enough money that I can afford to buy a house uh, instead of just, um, instead of just fucking six, 6.5% 6 interest, 7% interest. You kidding me? You kidding me? Okay. Get it together. Government. Maybe uh, maybe was maybe Dan was right about our country. Anyway, I do want to mention one more thing. Shout out to Alton Towers. Don't think I didn't notice that there. He said Alton Towers. Alton Towers is uh, very high, very high on my list of, of theme parks I want to go to one day. Very high. Probably one of the. Technically, Alton Towers is a regional park. I think Merlin and I think Merlin owns it now. The Legoland Company. I don't know if they've always owned it. They got the castles there and everything, but I've always wanted to go Alton Towers. Alton Towers is like very high up on my regional parks. I would love to, um, I would love to visit one day. So that is, that is the main reason why I need to get to the UK is to visit Alton Towers. That and because gotta pay my respects. Gotta pay my respects to, uh, Gordon Gordon Ramsay. I think Gordon Ramsay's wasn't he born in like Scotland or something like that. I don't fucking know. Who cares. Uh, but shout out to Alton Towers. Shout out to the uh, what's what's the one with like the fourteen loops that like almost killed the guy that one time, and then they had to close it down. Uh, I want to call it the Mindbender, but that's a Six Flags ride, the Twister. I don't know. And you got the new wooden coaster, the Wickerman. I know about you guys. I know about you British people. I know I know, I know what kind of theme parks you got. What's the other one you got? The Black Black Lagoon something. That one looks pretty good as well. Listen, you fly over the UK, and then. You go to Alton Towers, take the train over to Paris, go to Disneyland, Paris, and then I don't know, maybe maybe hit up a maybe maybe I don't know, hit up a Disney cruise or some shit while you're there. Do one of those European Disney cruises. That'd be awesome. God bless you, Sam Frito. Have a great day. Chick fil A. My mom wrote it and says, I like Chick fil A, but pimento cheese and honey on their chicken sandwich sounds disgusting. Well, mom, it's not. Starfield Redo Vandal writes in and says, on a better note, Bethesda, good on you. A lot of games these days had hype <laughs> that fell way too short. Starfield simply delivered. I think a decent game. I don't puff about minor bugs beside one quest being completely broken. I oh, I wonder what quest that is. I, didn't, I haven't experienced that yet. But I could care. I, I but I couldn't care less. Ha ha. I'm sorry, but I could care less. Ha ha ha. I just hop in my ship and go stumble into another quest line completely irrelevant. I don't complain. I just play. See, I'm glad you're able to have that, like, blissful, joy, joyous experience with Starfield. I feel like, again, as I touched on last week, too many people are just so busy trying to adopt the opinions of their favorite YouTube commentators and, and video game personalities to just enjoy the game. There's so, oh, anecdote time. So I was uh, I was at my friend's birthday party this weekend and talking to these these guys I've never met before very nice very nice people and um, trying to bond over video games because I'm like I don't know how to make it through a fucking social interaction but these guys are clearly gamers so let's talk about video games so I'm like oh yeah yeah oh you're talking about Monster Hunter they were talking about Monster Hunter when I sat down and I'm like okay we're so we're chatting about Monster Hunter I'm like oh cool so you play games I'm like yeah yeah I'm like what are you playing right now and immediately I feel that thing I always feel when someone asks me about video games. We're like, I'm going to have to defend why I play on Xbox because chances are this person is like diehard PC or diehard PlayStation and they can't just let me be and they're going to have to give me some shit because I like Xbox. So I'm like, I'm playing Starfield right now. And they're like, oh, what do you think about Starfield? I'm like, uh, honestly, I, I think it's amazing. I love it. The guy goes, did you play Boulder's Gate 3? I said, 
no, I haven't. He goes, that's why you think Starfield's amazing. You haven't played Baldur's Gate. I'm like, here we fucking go. And then I get the questioning about why on Xbox. I'm like, hey, I, I like PlayStation. I have a gaming PC. I like everything. It's all cool. Everything can coexist. I just like I like my Xbox. Is that a fucking crime? I get the fucking the, the third degree burn, you know, about the why Xbox. You're a plebeian. Starfield sucks because Baldur's Gate's better. Apples and oranges taste like peaches when you put them together because I'm stupid or something. I don't know. So, yes, enjoy your game. It's all irrelevant. Hop in your ship. You can't fly it around. You have to pick menus to go somewhere. But pick somewhere nice on the menu map. And then enjoy the planet, uh, uh, exploring a new planet, because that, that is fun. The game's great. The writing is amazing. The quest, the questing is so phenomenal in Starfield. And honestly, uh, it's, it's my game of the year so far. Easily, it's my game of the year so far. Alan Wake 2, I think you're probably the only thing that could probably top it, but we'll see. Temple Knight writes in again and says, Hey, Jesse, I loved the Starfield intro you ran a few weeks ago. Let's keep it running. Well, you'll be happy to know I ran it again this week just for you. Just because you wrote this in. That's why I did it. I've got about 60 hours into Starfield. I just uh, did New Game Plus, and I think I'm going to take my time with the new game. I skipped most of the side content and focused on the main story. I think people who expected Bethesda to keep doing what they're doing in the past are the ones who can truly enjoy the game. I'm a big Bethesda Game Studios fan, and I've played everything since Oblivion. I typically like Elder Scrolls over Fallout, although I really enjoyed Fallout as well. With Starfield, I think it takes a spot. I think it takes a spot as my favorite. It's the game I'm constantly excited to go back to, even though life is trying to pull me in a hundred other directions. You just you just summed up the past three weeks of my existence beautifully. I hope Xbox starts allowing mods for the console version at some point, at least for story-type content. Uh, I think there's a lot of room for people to make amazing things in the Starfield universe. I don't know to what extent mods how good mods are on Xbox, but I know for a fact, obviously, mods will come to Xbox like they did with Fallout 4. Bethesda's really good about even before the acquisition about supporting Xbox with good mod support and, and all that. So I wouldn't worry about that. I think that's that's a given. It's just a matter of time. I think that's supposed to happen next year. They were talking about mods, but I don't know if that's just the PC version, if that's console as well. Um, but that should be early 2024 when we start to see that. But yeah, man, I, I feel like you really echo a lot of actually exactly how I feel. Um, I, I always wanted to like Fallout more than the Elder Scrolls, but in my actual experience, I think I've enjoyed Skyrim a lot more than I've enjoyed Fallout 3 and 4. Um, but it doesn't matter. Starfield, in my opinion, it's like so much better than both Fallout and Elder Scrolls. That's like, I don't, I don't give a shit. New Elder Scrolls, new Starfield or new Fallout. Good. Great. Awesome. We'll focus on that when the time comes for now. Starfield, baby. Starfield's so, ah, uh, so beautiful. It's such a, such a good game. I, I, I had such like a giddy moment the other day because I was thinking about like what I wanted to do next when I get a chance to play Starfield. And I was like, you know what I just realized aside from the main quest, I basically haven't explored the city of neon at all. I'm like, oh my god, I'm so excited to go back and do that because that 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 whole that whole planet to me is entirely new content to me. Like that's it's so underexplored so far for me that I'm like, oh, oh my god, it's like a whole new game I get to play now. I just I just realized because I so much of the questing I've done between the main quest and the UC Vanguard quest line, I've just been in like desolate planets or. What's it, what's it called? Gem, Gem, not Gemini? No, what the fucking... The main the main city. I don't know why my mind's blanking, but the main city in the game where the lodge is and all that shit. So I spent so much of so much of the game just like between these two locations that it's like I'm so excited to like get to these other places that I know are robust, full-fledged, open-world environments with tons to see and do. And I, I, I'm almost 50 hours in. I barely scratched the surface. I'm so excited. But yeah, man, Star, Starfield's just such a special game. 
And I'm really glad that it's uh, it's working for people like you. I'm glad that you're just you're just having a great time and enjoying it for the reasons you enjoy, and that's all that matters. All right, we got two roundout comments. Our first one comes from Cronky, who uh, not much to say here, but he, he, he just notes Gearbox feels like the biggest and best developer Embracer has. Them selling it off is weird. I agree, but them also being the biggest and best means it's the best way to make some fast cash. So it's a it's a business decision. So might be the wrong move in the long run, though. Also, bad Xbox. No credit cards with high interest rates. Fair, fair, fair. Our final comment comes from none other than the legend Mike Clark, who says, Woohoo, the number one Xbox podcast. Solid 7 out of 10. Dude, if this is a 7 out of 10 podcast to you, I, I'm forever grateful. But remember, like I said, you can think it's a 7 out of 10 podcast. That's fine. I'll take that. If I'm a set, if, dude, if, if, if my life is a 7 out of 10, if, if my contributions to humanity can be quantified as a 7 out of 10, I will be so happy with who I am and what I've done in this world. That's 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 phenomenal. But for the sake of getting the podcast boosted in search results, I need you to do a 5 out of 5 review on iTunes. Please, shh, steal your boss's phone next time you're at work. Sneak it when, when they're not looking and go on to iTunes because you know your boss has an iPhone. Bosses never have Androids. All bosses have iPhones. Duh. And go into the Apple podcast thing and give my show a five-star review. They're never going to look at my podcast. They're never going to know you gave it five stars. So no harm, no foul. Just do it. Do it, you fucking idiot. I said do it. I said do it. I said do it. Anyway, you, you wrote on here. You said the Fable series has always been my favorite. Or a favorite of mine. Don't be afraid to jump in. They're very linear uh, to play, and the humor is very well done. No doubt, Playground is going to t- take this franchise to new heights. Um, yeah, that's that's what Kronky was telling me too about just very linear. Don't worry, it's a very easy game to take on. Uh, I, I do, I, I do want to play. I, this is a plan for early 2024 is to play Fable, at least the first one. Uh, I'm not worthy of the Lord's Chicken. I don't, I don't know if that's a reference to something stupid I said last week, but I. I forget half the shit that comes out of my mouth, so we'll move on. Forza looks great, and I haven't, I, and I, I just don't have the desire to play it. Arcade racers like Mario Kart is all the racing I need. I do like the idea of only needing one a generation. Nintendo has been hammering out Mario Kart 8 DLC for a few years, and that has worked out perfectly for me. Mar- Nintendo has been hammering out Mario Kart 8 since like the fucking Stone Age at this point. I remember buying Mario Kart 8 for my Wii U in the summer of 2014 when I was like just about to go into college. Now I'm like 60 years old and my grandchildren are playing Mario Kart 8 on the Nintendo Switch. I don't know what the fuck is going on. It's a great game. Don't get me wrong. I like Mario Kart 8. Make a goddamn Mario Kart game. Give us Mario Kart 9. Stop it. Stop it, Nintendo. Stop it. All right. Worried for Gearbox and 4A games. Talk about being bad with your money, Embracer. But hopefully they'll, um, they and other studios can survive. Yeah, dude. Oof. 4A games, I forgot about them. That's ugh. They're a really special team, too. That's one that Xbox could acquire that I'd be like, hell yeah, that's pretty fucking cool. Um, be nice to see Xbox grab some more Japanese support. The Sega Atlas stuff was a big deal, but hopefully we need some more. Bandai Namco and Level 5 games will find their way to Xbox. I think Bandai Namco is a good fit for Xbox as well. Level 5, they kind of got a whole thing with PlayStation Nintendo generally, but I guess all the Japanese publishers do, so maybe that's kind of a mood point. And then lastly, you say, great show. Thank you, and I look forward to next week's episode. Time to watch the Nintendo Direct. I still haven't seen that, but I assume it was good. We got a Tomb Raider announcement. Anyway, uh, normally I would meander about a little more, but I'm about to lose my voice. It's a three-hour podcast, and I got to get to editing. So thank you all so much for listening. Um, very big episode. Uh, it was a lot to cover, and I'm not sure we tackled it in, in the best way possible, but I, I, I certainly tried. And so hopefully 
feels like a pretty comprehensive overview of what all there was to really talk about with this with this massive leak. I look very much forward to your guys' feedback and, and, and thoughts on, on the leaks. Hopefully we can talk about this some more next week based on your opinions and thoughts. And, uh, yeah, that's it. I hope you guys have a great week. Try out some Mountain Dew Voodoo Year 5. It's not great, but it is Mountain Dew Voodoo, and so therefore it must be enjoyed. And uh, until next week, enjoy your Starfield and power your dreams. Oh,